Maybe we need to get the books, boys. Welcome to Books Boys. Live from the Grand Library, the Dean and Lee Boy Ellers. Guys, keep town and read your tickets. We're using the Anna Karenina method here. He's Alex. Hello there. I'm Dean. <laughs> How we did the... you mess it up this time? <laughs> we are the Books Boys. This is the Books Boys show. Get it? Yay! Buy it. Books. Here's Alfred. Yay! <laughs> right. Well, that got our energy up. Help me yeah. wake up from that uh, nap that I needed. So what, what happened was, because I didn't tell you I was going to hit record, I just hit record, and I was like, oh no, what if he forgets the line? And my concern was so great that I forgot that... the line. <laughs> <laughs> You see, that's always my concern because you start off uh, with that line and I'm like, oh, I know it. (laughs) Yeah. So welcome back to Books Boys. And I believe this is episode 40. Yay. So we had it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It feels like we've had hundreds of books. 40 episodes feels like a small amount. We've had hundreds of books and uh, two or three boys. In fact, you might even say there's been multiple books and multiple boys. There you go. There you go. And multiple podcasts now. Yeah. Um, interestingly, we're also, I think, in the next, not this week, but next week, we'll be recording, I think, episode 40 of Dark Place Dreamers as well. And um, if you and Carla get around to it, episode 50 of Playboys. So all the all the big numbers are coming in like the same time. There we go. Well, Playboys. Oh, why is it so far ahead? <laughs> because we really liked Shakespeare. Yeah, we liked Shakespeare. We we did a lot quite quickly, I guess. Yeah. So we've read some books. Um, do you want to tell us about these yes. things? Books? Do we know what they are? What is a book? <laughs> that would be PJ's bit for a while. It's like, yeah, we do. What are these paper, uh, square paper objects? So we've got books. Um, I do think I've it read... has to be bound. I do not think a brochure counts. Bound and gagged. So, what do you have? <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to call back to our games night uh, this week. <laughs> oh my! Yeah, yeah, I came up with the best name. Just <laughs> <laughs> Thomas Ballgag, or something like. No, so actually, we should mention quickly before we review our books because we've done uh, some stuff this month. Supposed to be um, Thomas Kincaid. Yeah, for those people who like art. Um, <laughs> At the beginning of the month, we both went to London. Yay! And we saw uh, some of our oh. co-hosts. We saw Dark Place Robert. We also saw Saloni from Film Fellas, and we had a nice time over there. Oh, it was lovely uh, going to the library, seeing like the Canterbury Tales and hmm. original like, Shakespeare the Magna Carta. The, yeah, exactly. I'm like, okay, this and is just, fantastic. It's that one Monty Python skit. <laughs> well, I did not expect the Spanish Inquisition <laughs> right? to be there because it was so much more highbrow things all around it. <laughs> but no Dickens. Sadly, no Dickens. Shocking. No old copy of Household Works or whatever magazine he was releasing his bits in. I don't know why. We did that. We saw the British Library. It's very nice. And did some New Year's celebrations. Then I flew over to Spain and I saw Dragon Charlie. No, she's not here mm-hmm. to roar. Um, but that was that was nice um, as well. So got some nice got holidays. Some 
Turon, and it was kind of sad. I got mediocre Turon. I was sad, yeah. But, you know, River was closed for the Reyes Migos. Today, I also learned about a new type of Turon, which was basically just chocolate and, like, the rice Mm. crispy-type thing in it. uh, Because my friend Manuel just uh, had some with him. Like, you know what? Um, That's obviously the best type of Turon. But the white one with the almonds, or not almonds, um... Whatever type of nut in it is yeah. the best. Yeah, I like uh, I like all the Turan. I, I, what, what can I say? <laughs> like basically yeah. all the Turan. So, uh, what have we read this month? Um, I have two. Wow. Well, one point nine five. But <laughs> yeah, you just didn't we'll quite finish on time. Um, I I've needed got... that nap. <laughs> Yeah, I've got um, four and then one that I'll just briefly mention. So let's do like two and two. Uh, Two of mine, one of yours, two of mine, one of yours. Let's break it up. Sounds lovely. So I, and Alfred, sorry, we don't have time for yours. I know you you did a lot, but we don't. Yeah, he read all of Herodotus, Xenophon, um, all of Dickens, and Agatha Christie. It would just take, you know, a few hours. um, Yeah, it's almost like he read too much. He's the best reader of, of all of us in a way. Yeah, so, I mean, it doesn't work, so. He's a bit of a freeloader, <clears throat> yeah. I started off with um, with William Makepeace Thackeray's The History of... Even his name is so long. You had so much fun with this book. I did. The History of <laughs> Penn Dennis. I, I loved it. Now, it is 800 pages, so it's a long one. It's not for the faint heart. Faint-hearted. Um, small text as well. Like, I would say this could be a thousand pages in some editions. Um, yeah, quite quite tight text there. Oh wow, yeah, that's <laughs> maybe that's over rough. Yeah. Um, so it's a big commitment. Um, I think it's worth it. I think it's a fantastic book. It's it's yeah, Thackeray yeah, like at yeah. his mo. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, let's just go ahead and um, we'll just do it now. It gets there. <laughs> Because it's Thackeray, like, at his most Thackerying, you know? Like, all the characters have got silly names, like Dickens-style as well. Um, it's yeah. just... I think I sent you a list of them, but I don't think I, I have to scroll way too far up our, um, our what chat. What was it? Like, them. the happy woman was, like... <sighs> she would have been, like, ca- called, like, Miss Joy or something, like, I yeah, but somehow name. sillier. There is. I do remember there's a doctor oh, yeah. called Doctor Good Enough, because he's just gonna barely give you the correct treatment. I guess Doctor Good Enough. Um, this is about a chap, uh, Pen Dennis, and it's actually about two different Pen Dennises technically, because his uncle is Major Pen Dennis. Um, so they both appear, but um, essentially what happens is. The father has died, and so this boy is going to be the kind of heir to the family, you know, title and fortune. But they're not rich. You know, they live in a nice big old house, but they're not actually rich anymore. And the boy's, you know, a bit young and immature. Um, So that's like that's our starting point. And he lives with his mum and his sister, who's actually his adopted sister, but really his cousin. Okay. Mm. So, initially, the first thing he does is fall in love with an actress. And this causes such horror and scandal 
that could not be believed that they actually have to send for the uncle to come down. Um, this is the book that invents the word Oxbridge, by the way, to refer to Oxford and Cambridge. It comes from this book. Um, because he eventually goes to Oxbridge University and they don't actually tell us which. Which one. Which one, huh. yeah. Yeah, I found uh, her name, at least, for the actress, Fotheringay. Fotheringay, that Fotheringay, that's right. I'm just, I'm actually, here we go. I've scrolled, as, while I've been talking, I've been scrolling. We have characters called things like Tiptoff, Blenkinsop, Sir Featherby, Thackthwaite, Mrs. Mantrap, Dr. Goodenough, Clavering, and also yeah. Ponty, Pontypool and Wigsby. There's also another one I found, Fanny Bolton. <laughs> yes, there's also Fanny Bolton. Ah, and I've also found sure. this. I've written to you in the book also a lady called Fanny Fantail and Sir Percy Popjoy. And I have then said, I wonder if Percy popped his joy when he saw Fanny's Fantail. And I'm very happy with that. Very poetic. <laughs> so, okay. What happens is he loves the actress. Um, the actress is a drunken old Irish father because, of course, stereotypes. And this is a scandal. So the uncle comes, the uncle's a man about town. Like, he's not rich, he's a major on half pension. But, like, everyone knows him. He gets invitations to all the society places, you know. So he's very bothered that he's got to go out into the sticks to the, the family home at Fair Oaks to see, you know, what they're getting on. And initially, he kind of sees them as, like, country bumpkins almost, you know. He's annoyed <laughs> that he's got to go there and miss his engagement, you know, at kind Twaddle's luncheon party or whatever, you know. So off he goes down and tries to give the boy a stern sort of talking to, you know. Um, so the boys head over heels in love with the actress and that's fine but they they eventually break it off there's a little hint that the major then kind of falls in love with the actress which is very um, <laughs> hypocritical but nothing nothing comes of that I think he's just captivated momentarily by her you know her beauty um, he ends up having to buy off the dad I think to like not get involved but then there's this allegation that maybe he slept with her anyway. Now, he doesn't, actually. Um, but there is this allegation, and the mother is so distraught by it. Like, the possibility of the allegation that she ends up on her deathbed from the scandal, from the shock. Maybe my boy has compromised a woman's honour, and poor mother is almost dying. And slight spoiler for something later in the novel, I'm skipping ahead. When she finds out nothing happens, then she dies anyway from the relief of it, you know? <laughs> So, you might be surprised, one of my books has something similar to that. Oh, wow, okay. Not as extreme, but yeah, yeah. Now, um, let me add more layers. So, they live in the town of Clavering. And Clavering is, they're the, the first family, because the Clavering family has been gone for decades. The Clavering family return. So, now the Claverings of the town, it's their town, basically. The Claverings of Clavering and um, they're the, the local squire. But the daughter there, Bianca, is also a lovely lady. <laughs> so now they say, well, what if we forget about that actress lady? What if we get you involved with this lady who's rich and um, more accomplished? And of course, she's a society girl. It's actually a marriage up for you a little bit, you know? And there's a funny line. Well, sorry, not the funny line. What's the word? A horrible sexist line um, where the major literally says... The exact it's opposite. Right? <laughs> he says, it is easy to marry her as it is to marry rich but you'll have a lot more on the dinner table if you marry rich like it doesn't matter who you marry it's like just pick a girl but you might as well pick a rich one because you'll have an easier life 
but they're they're all just as easy to obtain, you know. So they try to set him up with Bianca, but the mother wants him to marry his adopted sister, Laura. And the only thing that will make her happy is that the two people she cares about in the world get together. Now, there is this idea of like womanly virtue. So he meets all these worldly people, but really the good women are the mother and the daughter. And what do they do? They stay in their cottage indefinitely. And they don't do anything. And even when he comes home to visit on the holidays, he's so bored because they just sit around, you know. And that's it. And they, but the book tells it. And it, I, I sort of understand because it's teaching us about like the simplicities of country living and of staying with the family instead of going off to London and getting involved in all these decadent pursuits that he gets involved in. So they're trying to rein him in and say like the countryside life is better. Look at these paragons of virtue in your mother and sister. So one side of it is really nice. But the other side of the coin is, oh, we're supposed to hate all the girls who actually try to like do something and you know have a personality and like yeah. this one that stays at home. So that's not good. Pretty Victorian. Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't get with Bianca in the end. He does um, tease it, but Bianca and Laura figure out that they both like him and there's a bit of tension there. So he goes off to university. He becomes like the man, right? He is just the guy. Everybody knows him. Everybody loves him. The servants give him free meal. I don't know what university people has like the university staff leaving food to his dorm. Maybe that <laughs> happened in the 1800s, but um, they're like queuing up outside to give him food. He's making speeches, you know, and they tell universities where you make uh, allies for life because of course they live in, they're going to Oxford basically in, in London yeah. and they're, you know, his ambition is to become an MP, right? That's what they're all planning on doing. Uh, and it's a rotten borough, right? There's like 100 people in Clavering and he's like the one candidate. So he gets, is the MP. But that doesn't work out. But because Clavering comes back. But um, essentially what happens then is he fails all his exams. He doesn't realize that he should study. He racks up a ton of debt. Her old mum mm -hmm. has to pay off all the debt. And then they're out of money. So then he goes home and poor sister Laura gives all the debt. And, you know, the mum's like, we can borrow it and we'll find a way to pay you back. And Laura, the perfect paragon of virtue that she is, she's like, well, all my money is from this family anyway. Just take it. Why would I need money? All I do is sit at home knitting, you know, <laughs> give him the That's money. He deserves it. It kind of, it is also kind of fair. So like, give it to him. You know, my life's ambition is that he makes something of himself, you know. Uh, and he's kind of not even that nice to them, really, which is a shame. He's just happy to sponge off them. And it's the typical, you get it in everything, you get it in Dickens, you get it in Balzac. It's this typical time period, you know. Um, so he fails all his exams. He makes a, a mess of himself. And when he comes back, his sister has to convince him to do resets. For some reason, he doesn't even think that he can do the resets. He's just like, that's it. My life is done. Off I go to wander into the void, you know, the, the melodrama. And um, he they call it plucked apparently failing your exams is called being plucked at oxford but the major doesn't know what that means and is very startled and he doesn't want to tell him that he doesn't know so there's some funny sequences where the major is like discussing you know how horrible it is of those boys to have plucked you without really knowing what has happened <laughs> it just means he's failed his exams you know <laughs> he doesn't really know what it means hmm. so he goes back and aces the exams a second time just by applying himself and not being a dandy basically so that's fine. Um, then there's some side stories because it turns out with the Claverings that the father's not really the father, but the mother had a previous husband and he comes back and there's a lot of wishy-washy stuff going on there. 
um, and scandal. They find out about the scandal, so they basically blackmail him into giving up his post as MP and giving it to Arthur. But in those days, you just give it to your friend. You didn't need to necessarily have an election. Doesn't that happen today anyway? Theoretically, no, but yes, that did happen here. Uh, in that Northern did Ireland. happen with uh, <laughs> it did. what's his name, Jeffrey yeah. Donaldson. It, it did actually happen. So then, um, then there's Fanny Bolton. So Fanny is this poor little girl who cares for him when he gets a fever, uh, and he's a friend, Foker, who also fancies his sister. Um, and he's supposed to be like a really good, reliable guy compared to all the rogues that he falls in with throughout the book, you know. Um, but Folk can't have the sister, so Folk just leaves. He he exiles himself and off he goes into the voids of the world. Um, this happens a lot, even in Dickens books. You know, it's like we can't be together. Then I'll spend the rest of my life just you know wandering around the seashores. Like, I I don't know, I can't just stay here anymore. I, I don't know why. Um, wandering seems to be like a major thing. Like you could just be yeah. a vagabond, and it's <laughs> yeah. kind of okay. <laughs> kind of. I don't know why they do it though, but yeah. So. There's multiple different times where he goes back to Bianca and thinks maybe he'll get with her, maybe he'll get with Laura. He proposes to Laura. He says, I think mum, who's now dead, wanted us to be together. Um, I've already, To be honest, I've already given my heart to others. But I guess we can. Why not? And Laura's like, oh, wow, I feel so romanced and seduced. Uh, no, that <laughs> was a terrible proposal and we will not get married. Um, spoiler alert, the happy ending is that they eventually do. That's why Foker leaves. Um... The girl Fanny also fancies him, but she's lower class again, so the Major is a second freakout that he's going to get involved with another lower class girl, and there's a second scandal, and it kind of goes on a bit, it gets a bit repetitive, you know. Um, The actress reappears because the Major got her a post in London, an acting job, and so then when he goes to see her, she reappears, but he doesn't fall in love with her a second time. It kind of goes on a bit, I'll be honest, the first half was very good and very engaging. The second half... It starts to talk more about the other characters than about Pendennis himself, and it really loses me. Then mm. it recovers it at the end. So you might say like the third quarter could be cut almost, you know? It's just like the Anna Karenina method of like, let's just have more stuff happening with these other characters. But look, altogether, it's a good book. I love the melodrama. We do learn about Arthur, and the book actually ends with like a moral tale. The final lines are like, look, he did a lot of things wrong. He treated girls badly. He treated friends badly. He treated his family badly. He's a young lad. He's learning. He's learned life experiences. He's mature by the end of the novel. It's a life history, basically. And he ends up married with kids. And it says we should forgive him his kind of growing pains sins, you know? And that's the moral lesson of the book, basically. Be kind to aristocrats, I guess. (laughs) But does it have to be aristocrats or just people? Yeah, I get. Well, I don't know. If, I don't know if Thackeray knew the difference. Um, but yes, to people, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's a it's he a didn't fantastic. Read he didn't read enough Dickens. So yeah, you you said to me, is Thackeray and Wilkie Collins the same? And I said, well, Wilkie Collins is Dickens' deputy. Thackeray is Dickens' enemy. Like Dickens is your lower class. <laughs> Thackeray is your upper class. Vanity Fair and all that, you know. Yeah, but what is um, Collins? Like, Collins lower, is lower just writing, as well. yeah, but he's also a bit more to the side. He's writing like some mystery stuff and different types of stuff. You know, he's not Dickens is trying to show you what the lower class is like. Collins is like tell some stories. Mm. It's slightly different. Um, That's nice. 
And you could argue that his books, in a way, have more normal people in them. Like, Dickens' people are very, very gritty, you know? And Thackeray's are very poncy. So I'm just double-checking my notes, but I think I, I basically covered everything. I mean, it's a fantastic book. I highly, highly recommend it. It gets the yeah, yeah, yeah. And I liked Penn Dennis, but at times he's not a good guy. You know, you like him because he's your main character and you're stuck with him for 800 pages, but <laughs> at times he's not a good guy, but he learns his lessons, you know? And even mm-hmm. the old the old major falls out with him at one point, you know, because he racks up all the debts and everything, you know, and almost scandalizes the family. But my favorite bit is is the mum, uh, you know, dying, <laughs> to be honest. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Like, oh yeah. no, everything's going poorly. Oh, everything's okay? Oh, thank you. Yeah. And then even Bianca doesn't end up well. I think she married, you know, her life doesn't work out. It's giving you these moral lessons that life doesn't work out for bad people, basically, and for self-centered people. It does for him because he learns and he ends up with Laura, who's this lovely, selfless girl, you know. Um, but that's the His first book, anyway. Stepsister. I think we have to not mention that bit. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings us to this month's uh, sponsor, Marrying Your Stepsister. No. But we are sponsored by the Society for Dickensian Thackerian Naming Conventions.gov.org. So if you would like to write a book and have characters with these types of uh, names in it, you know, Sir Twaddlington or whatever, uh, get onto those guys and they'll they'll help you write out. You see, this was the perfect time to do a dot UK. But... Ah, yeah, I guess <laughs> it. Yeah, it's like I I don't make the websites. You know, I take what they what they give us. You know. Yeah, yeah. Apparently it's a very, like, you know, American thing or something. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you got next? Well, so I panicked at this point because we were like two weeks into the month and I'd only read one book. So I read a one day book. I read a play. All right. Fair enough. Um, This is by Alejandro Casona, La Dama del Alba. And inside... We have a, an inscription from May 2023 from a certain PJ. Remember, you're uh, always my friend uh, and books boy to Amigo. Um, this was around the time that I went to visit him and he, he just uh, left the show. And this was a, a lovely gift that he gave to me. He's also drawn a snail on there. I, I don't actually know why he's done that, but um, <laughs> fantastic. So this is uh, about a 100 page play. Roughly. 100 pages split into four acts. It's still a pretty long play for 100 pages. It is. Now you'll see that... I was going to say they're not big pages, Rather... but they're about normal play length pages, to be honest. Uh, yeah, that's... That's long like enough. it's going to be like, like a good three-hour play. Maybe. It would have been... I would recommend this. Like, I would... It's a shame. I, at the first, I thought, I'll do it on Books Boys because I don't think we need to do it on Playboys. Kind of regret that now because I think it would have been a really fun one to talk about. But I'll talk about it now. Um, this is a fantastic play. I don't particularly know the author, but he's part of the generation of 27. So he is contemporary with Lorca. Okay. Lorca is the okay. most famous from that generation. There's a lot of others. Um, Calderon de la Barca. Yeah. If you look at the art from that period, that generation, you're getting Salvador Dali, for example. Okay. Now, oh. I'm just going to flick through the book to find the. That's bigger character list um well lope de vegas about 300 years uh, prior. yeah yeah it was way <laughs> off i was uh because i was thinking wait no Lorca vega different yeah how do i confuse the two i do not know because <laughs> yeah yeah 
that 1600s with Barca. Uh... Yeah. So we have the main character is La Dama del Alba, which is like the the Lady of Dawn, I guess. She's not actually called that in the book. She's called her character is La Peregrina, which means the pilgrim. And she is death. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we have a family. So there's the mother. There's just she's just called the mother. There's the granddaughter, granddad. He's just called the granddad. Um, they have a dead daughter, Angelica, and it's very important to know that they have a dead daughter. And then they've got some kids. The kids' names don't matter that much, but they're Dorina and Andres and Faline. Um, and there's a girl we meet later called Adela, and they have a kind of technically a servant, but she's you know tell of a. She's one of those servants that's been there that long that she's actually outspoken and just kind of part of the family now, you know, and she's friends with the mum, essentially. Um, there is a guy, Martin. Martin was married to Angelica before she died. But they were only married for three days. So they dated for like a year, they married, and two or three days into the marriage, she dies in the river, she drowns. Oh. Now, it's now years later. I don't know why he's still hanging around the house. Like, he's hanging around like he's part of the family. He's like, I was married to your daughter for three days. Here I oh. am again. So why are you... That was ten years ago. Why are you still here? You know, I don't... Maybe I'm too cold. I don't know. Maybe it's just the Spanish family. Once you become part of the family, uh, you never leave. Uh, uh, yeah, I guess. There's a there's a bit of that. I mean, they do have a very good family culture. So... Here's what happens. We we some scenes. So acts two and four are where the stuff happens. Acts one and three are more like domestic settings, and the family are just kind of chatting and stuff like that. So they're chatting, and there's a big you know, there's a time skip. So it's one and two skip, six months or something like that, and then three and four. Um. So what happens is quick summary. Family are together. They're having a nice time. Um. Except it's the anniversary of the daughter having died, so the mum is very sad. The others have really gotten over it, though. Like they're just like it was a while. It was a few years ago. We're moving on. Okay. You know, they're they're That's they're s- they're remembering her, but that you know, and the mother is very selfish. To be honest, she keeps going on about you know my daughter, my daughter, and Telva, the kind of maid, says, "I have seven dead sons." And the mother's like, yeah, but yours are all buried, so it doesn't count. Mine's lost at sea, so mine's infinitely worse. Woe is me, and just continues, like, immediately dismisses her seven dead children, you know? And it's it's all about her, you know? And of course, look, it's it's sad, obviously. There's trauma, I get it. But, yeah. you know. Um, but I don't think that makes it any no, worse at it, all. Right? <laughs> so, a pilgrim comes... Uh, they, they also mentioned the kids aren't allowed to go to school, so they're uneducated, and they really want to get an education, but their mother won't let them cross the river, because that's where the other girl fell in. Sure. Um, pilgrim comes, and the, the granddad is like, I've seen this pilgrim before. And she's just like, look, I'm wandering around, could someone take me in for the night? Give me some food and a bed for the night, you know, I'm traveling everywhere. And the, the grandfather pulls her aside, he's like, I have seen you before. And then we eventually realize that she is death. And that he saw her when the girl died. And he's like, who are you here for? You better not take the kids. You'll have to go through me. And he stands up to death. He's like, you're not taking the kids. 
And it turns out that they're there for Martin, the son-in-law, and he's kind of like, oh, in that, in that case, <laughs> you know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> not, okay. Not so bad. <laughs> it's to be with his dead wife now? Yeah. So that's nice. Um, sure. Now another girl is about to drown, and we meet Adela. And she's sad. She just has nothing to live for, and she goes to drown. Martin rescues her and brings her in. And immediately the mum's like, my daughter has come back. And it's like, well, calm down, you mad woman. No, it's just a different girl who's in the river, like five years <laughs> later. So they bring her in. And then death is really confused. And she's like, she was meant to jump in the river, but not for another seven months. Something's off. And I don't know what. And he oh, d- cool. she doesn't take Martin in the end. And she's kind of like, who's meant to die? Like, what's what's going on? So she leaves. And... She la- there's a false hook. She says to the granddad, you'll eventually be calling me back. But he doesn't. And when she comes back later, he says, you told me that I would be begging you to come back. And it's like, yeah, that was just a lie, actually. So the- you kind of think that some tragedy is going to happen that makes him want her back. And no, that was just a lie. There's a red herring. So what happens is we have some more family scenes. And then, I mean, because it's a, it's a short play, I'm just going to have to give the spoilers. Otherwise, it's not going to go anywhere, this discussion. Basically, here's what happened. We discover that when the daughter died, the whole town went and looked for her except her husband. Why did her husband not look for her? He killed her. She wasn't really dead. She just oh. left him. She rides across. He finds that she's cheating. And she leaves with another man and rides away on a horse across the no. river. This is blood wedding again. Mm-hmm. And he lets her go. I mean, I think he chases the other guy for a while and doesn't find him and then just resigns himself that she's left him for someone else, you know? Um, but he never tells the family because he doesn't want to sully her name. Okay. Question. So, yeah? They get married. They're married for three days, and then she cheats. That is the quickest turnaround. Yeah, that's a pretty quick turnaround. And she goes so that's somewhere. not really a question. That's more just a statement. But <laughs> I was going to ask it in a question way. Like, yeah, yeah. Was there I anything mean, else to that, or do we ever find out? Well, she just never disappeared. That's it. Yeah, so she disappears. So now her husband's with a new girl that he rescues from the river, and this girl literally is replacing her. Like he re- he takes her out of the river where the other one was supposed to have died, brings her into the house with the family, and they all just adopt her. And they're like, "Cool, she can stay here. She's nice. She can look after the kids." And she just takes the place, and she she can stay in the daughter's room that the mum for years wouldn't let anyone go into, even to clean. They're like, "Cool, she can take the daughter's room," and she just kind of replaces the daughter. And it's a bit weird. and But then she's sad and forlorn. And the maid's like, why are you so sad and forlorn? And it's like, well, everything is perfect now. I was going to kill myself, but now I've got this lovely family. But there's still something missing. And she's like, yeah. Is that something missing? A tall, handsome, dark-eyed gentleman? Wink, wink. And she's like, <laughs> oh, no, you know that I like Martin. Um, so they're going to get together. And we end with a, there's a ball. There's going to be a big party. But death comes back. And now the granddad's really on alert. He's like, you've come back. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to take one of these people. Don't do it. And we we think that he'll sacrifice himself, potentially, if, if she'll allow it. Mm-hmm. And here's the big swindle. Now the daughter comes back. Oh. And she's like, this girl's in my house. She's got my husband. She's got my mother. She's got the, the, my siblings. And she feels aggrieved. But, I mean, it's her own fault, right? Like, it's 100% yeah. her own fault. Um... And the final scene, the the pilgrim, the death, 
basically persuades her, you know what, it was kind of better when you just weren't here. Why come back and mess up everything? Why don't we just kill you now? And that's how it ends. That's, you know, pretty awesome, actually. It is fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's one of those that, like, every beat throughout this uh, play just kind of keeps you hooked. Like, all right, what's going to happen here? Yeah. Because death is there, like, always looming over each of these characters. What's actually going to happen? Yep. Like, that's pretty interesting. It does sound like there's kind of the plot hole, though. Like, why did the girl... So, she wasn't supposed to jump in for another seven months. Do we ever yeah, know what happened with that? I can't remember if that's explained. Death gets confused, and then she, she she keeps saying, like, I don't make the decisions, I just follow orders, so I've been sent here, and, you know, I don't get to choose who it is and this kind of stuff. So maybe there was some miscommunication or some kind of trickery. I can't remember if that is actually clearly explained in the end or not. It'd be nice if that were wrapped yeah, up, because that seems yeah. like a big glaring bit. But as for the rest of it, yeah. Yeah. That's, Honestly, overall... It's called um, La Dama del Alba. So it's the kind of like the Lady of the Dawn. Oh. And it gets... Of course. It's so fantastic. Alba means Dawn? Yeah. Oh, interesting. So that paints uh, the house of Bernarda Alba in a different light then. Well, no pun intended, actually. The Casa de Bernarda Alba. Someone was asking me, not an hour ago, what did Lorca write? And I was like, Boras de Sangre and, damn it, I can't remember the other one. Yerma. I got Yerma, but I can't remember the other famous one, La Casa de Bernarda Alba. There we go. Well, there you go. There you go. And we read four, but I can never remember what the fourth one is. Um, I had read three. Okay, so I read the fourth one. So you don't know it, and I can't remember it. There you go. Memorable. So, um... That's my two. Yeah. I'll just take a quick moment while we're here to tell everyone to go ahead to booksboys.com. I put some new stuff up on there. You can click some links. You can check out our other stuff. There's a link to my new album, which is now out on the Spotify, Amazon, and Apple. It's called A Dozen More by The Dean. Um, The old stuff is on there as well. It does not mean that they're of worse quality than the previous. It doesn't. I mean, in theory, that's the joke, right? But actually, some of the new songs are probably the best ones. So in a way, it's actually maybe better. But the joke, yeah, the joke is that it's like the dozen best and then some others, you know. Um, so that's the joke. But that's all on there. You can check that out. Um, I have had people message on Instagram to say they're listening to it, actually, and they're liking it. Ooh, nice. As well as that, uh, up on Patreon, we've, we've not done that much this month. and We haven't managed to get around to Playboys yet, for example, but we've got some Dark Play streamers. Aris and I did a new arcade uh, arcade episode on animation adventurers, so that's up. And I've released my thirty-page short story, the the life of a fellow called Chester, Chester Witherington, and uh, it's a thirty-page story. You can read it, and I've also recorded a seventy-five-minute video where you can listen to you me put read that it, up too. and also have the uh, paintings that illustrate it. And the music clips, because most of the chapters are named after songs or paintings that I've done. Um, so there's lots of songs that illustrated as well. That's on Patreon. Um, Patreon.com slash Booksboys. And of course, you get all of our Playboys on there. You get Film Fellows. You get Dark Play Streamers. You get a whole load of stuff. But in about a month, a few, three weeks time, there is an audio rip of the story coming on the free podcast feed. So you'll be able to hear the audio at least in a few weeks.
The facts that will be presented are true. He's PJ. He's just a guy. Yeah, say hello. <laughs> hello. Dark Place Robert and Playboy Alex. Doing all right. Glad to be here again. Now he's going to know me from that. <laughs> <time. laughs> Carry on. Anyway. Joined by Saloni. Say hello. Hello, everyone. Dean joined by Carla. Hello. Talk about some plays. Join us for play reviews from Shakespeare to ancient Greece, music, films, poetry, interviews, dark place dreamers, and more. Patreon.com slash booksvoice. And yes, the girls constantly have reverb on their voices. <laughs> Sexist much? <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> so Dodging yeah, check the that question. out. question. <laughs> mm-hmm. All also, right. we should mention, if you're on the free Books Boys podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts, we are, of course, releasing our old episodes of Playboys and Dark Place Dreamers, and we've just, we're about to finish The Sandman on Dark Place Dreamers, the last episode's due, and over on um, Playboys, we should in theory be starting the Greek plays, but they feel so recent to us that I'm going to push them back a month or two, and I'm going to put some old Poetry Pals and Caper Captains on there um, to pad things out for a couple of months um but of course over on on patreon you get all of that we're wrapping up our twilight zones and what are we doing on playboys now we're gonna just do like miscellaneous plays from around the world me you and carla basically more or less yeah next one we should be getting is six characters in search of an author um next month uh, robert and i will be doing translations hopefully. i think hopefully if we can fit things in carla and i will do an oscar wilde at that time then we are thinking about touching it upon um, a few other things. There's a Japanese play coming at some point, hopefully, maybe a Mexican play. I would like to do a Spanish. We're going to do a Lupe de Vega at some point. Um, we talked about doing a, a Ben Johnson also. So there's options for the next sort of load of months between the three of us. Um, so that'd be nice. Hmm. Over to you. Yeah. I was talking to so- Alfred. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, sure. Um, why would you point to me and then say you're talking to... Right, anyway. So, uh... <laughs> can I start now? <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. So you're having fun over there. Um, speaking of fun, I had a lot of fun with this book. Right, great segue. So, thank you. Um... <laughs> so I just... Uh wanted to show how awkward uh the main character in this book is like that very awkward intro so i read shirley jackson's we have always lived in the castle and honestly the way i wanted to start this i just wanted to read the first paragraph to you okay um and i want you to tell me what you think of this character okay Mm -hmm. so my name is mary Catherine blackwood i am 18 years old and i live with my sister constance I have often thought that with any luck at all, I could have been born a werewolf because oh. the two middle fingers on both my hands are the same length, and I've had to be content with what I had. I dislike washing myself, and dogs, and noise. I like my sister Constance, and Richard Plantagenet, and Amanita Philoides, I don't know how to pronounce that, the death cup mushroom. Everyone else in my family is dead. Sorry, so she likes her sister and Plantagenet, like the Shakespeare... The history, the the War of the Roses guy. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> okay. Um, and the Death Cup Mushroom. So it's a bit of an erratic 
open and it ends with everyone else in my family. That gives you a yes. It's um, wow. It's very. She's a very strange character, and the way I see this, this family feels like they're cousins of the Adams family. Um, fair signs it, and I absolutely adored this book. So this is the last book Shirley Jackson ever wrote. Uh, a couple months ago, I reviewed uh, The Haunting of Hill House, which mm-hmm. one of my favorite uh, movies of all time from 1963. Uh, the book actually wasn't as good as the movie for once. Um, this book was just fantastic. Now, Basically, can I add some context? Yeah. You... um not quite pilfered um but took this from uh, robert's house <laughs> yes he did allow that and so, then read it just on the plane like he just read it in like one go right i read it in a day so in the morning uh before my plane trip i lay down on the couch for about an hour got through half of it and then finished the rest on the hour-long plane ride uh back from london uh all in one day and wow. that's the f- First time in years that I've done that with a book. Mm. This was just so easy to get through. It's so much fun. You talk about like your 800 page books and some of them being slogs. I can't think of a single time I was bored with anything going on with this. Um, to be fair, this is only 150 pages. Okay, like, so it's it's hard so to get bored with that length, I guess. Really short, but so much is crammed in, but it doesn't feel like it's sped through you're not adding any unnecessary explanations that i don't care about okay so so what's the actual story so we know that this family are ostracized in this really small town we don't really know why at the beginning other than the family is dead and everyone hates this family the Blackwood family. And you find out later that this family died in their home at dinner. So they died from arsenic poisoning that was in the sugar. And the one who cooks for the family is Constance. So they took her to court and uh, it was believed that Constance killed the family, but there was no actual evidence of Constance ever touching like uh, the sugar bowl or anything like that so she gets off like scot-free um so the town thinks that constance is a murderer and this whole family i mean without evidence what are you meant to do right yeah yeah well what happens like one of the one of the things so the sister said that uh she cleaned it out our main character mary because she found a spider in it and they're like well you just cleaned out a murder like some evidence that could be used to explain the murder. And she's like, there was a spider in it. I was going to do that. I was just going to clean it out. And some people in the story are saying, well, why didn't you just take the spider out? It's like, how crazy are you people that you would eat sugar that had spiders in it? This month, Books Boys is sponsored by Spider Sugar. No. <laughs> <laughs> so there are three people who survived. We have our main character, Mary. We have the sister, Constance, uh, who's actually an older sister. So Mary's like 18. I think the older sister is like 28. Oh, wow, good jump. Okay. There is a big jump, yeah. And uh, Uncle Julian, uh, who did have some of the sugar as well. 
and did he only have a little sip like um like the Garth well, Marenghi green water <laughs> basically basically but it wasn't even a sip they he just put a tiny bit on his blackberries mm. and everyone else puts a lot more on so uncle julian is my favorite character he's just so interested in this date like what happened he's putting a story together he's writing a book about all the things that happened that night. And like one old woman came over for tea and brought another older woman. Mary, our main character, hates having people over because she just kind of wants Constance to herself. She doesn't right. want anyone else around. But in a weird in, in a weird way yeah. or like, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It is in a weird way. It is almost like um so she comes back from the market at the beginning of the book and Constance is near the edge of the garden, like close to like the boundaries of their uh, house. And it just like sent a shiver up Mary's spine and their mm -hmm. cousin joins later. And it just puts her off when anyone comes around. She's also just a strange person. Like she will like hang things up on trees so whether it be like rings or necklaces or books, almost as like a way to ward off evil. Okay. He's a very odd person. She'll even bury things. Um, but yeah. So when that older woman brings the other friend over, the, the older woman who brought the friend does not want to hear at all about the story. She just wants to have like tea and mm. just be nice to Constance because no one else is. But the oh. other woman who's there is actually really interested in this story because she's like, oh, this is the murder house. This is where it all went down. So that's what they think of it as? Uh, basically, yeah, because that's really what it was. Like the whole family, I think uh, mother, father, and even younger brother died. Mm. And then Uncle Julian's wife died. I'm not sure if there were more people, but the yeah, spider. It, well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, no spoilers uh, for the ending, but uh, the very instead of a page number at the very end, it the book ends with a spider. Oh no! Ah! Okay, <laughs> it's not a scary one, but still, ah! no, no. Yeah, it even ends says like, uh, well, Constance said, I am afraid of spiders. Jonas and I will see to it that no spider ever comes near you. Oh, Constance, I said, we are so happy. Um, Jonas is their cat, pet cat. Okay. Um, I don't know if I really want to go into much more about the spoilers because it's it's almost a mystery about what happened. I completely called um, part of the story, but... I do want to point out later on, basically a fire starts. I'm not going to explain how or what all necessarily happened with that. But the firemen come to the house, put out the fire. And because everyone in the town hates him, he's like, okay, I did my job. I put out the fire and then throws chairs through the window, breaks everything in the house. All their uh, cups and plates get broken by people from throughout the town. Now, and does he does he put out the sad. fire by playing guitar on a hose whilst a pizza guy jumps around? I'm giving no context for that. 
<laughs> people are gonna if they do listen to that they're going to say or think to themselves the heck is he talking about if anyone gets that reference email booksboysathotmail.com and i will give you my soul and also a free book you see i was gonna say a free t-shirt but hey oh every all the things yeah yeah i will marry uh, the no <laughs> so it's oh it's just absolutely fascinating what she did in this book i i don't know really what else to say about it without going into spoilers mm. so i would say 100 percent, everyone should check this out um i think any reading level can do it too you don't have to be someone who reads herodotus or balzac all the time this is just you could like twilight and still be able to read this no yeah. problem and have a great time no i remember just because you could doesn't mean you should <laughs> twilight this book yes not yes twilight. Uh, twilight i mean so we're giving it a, a yeah 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 oh 100 percent. it was one of the best books i've read this year well in the past year yeah yeah in the past year because it's the first book you first read this book year. <laughs> i read this year <laughs> no you did finish it very quickly, and then I was like, well, you shouldn't have told me that uh, so early in the month. now you're, you're expecting a second book. <laughs> Morally obliged to do another. <laughs> well, while you're talking about your next two books, I will get to reading. <laughs> to finish it <laughs> off. So, I read... Uh, we have talked about this, and I know I joke. Oh, I'm going to read something different. Here's another Dickens, and here's, uh, not, here's another Dumas, or another Thackeray. But I am trying to mix in some different stuff as well. So... Still with the Victorian time period, but I went for a Thomas Hardy. Mm. And then I went for something that I thought was totally different style altogether. Around the world in 80 days. Which, just a fun story. Just Everyone fun generally story. knows it. And yeah. yeah, it's great. We have the board game. <laughs> oh, yes. So, first, the Thomas Hardy. It's called The Mayor of Casterbridge. I always overlooked Thomas Hardy. I don't know why. He is, as far as I know, he's still in that key Victorian time period, but he never seemed as important to me as like a Dickens or a Thackeray or a Collins or the Brontes. And I never knew which books were supposed to be the good ones. You know, if you asked me to name a Thomas Hardy book, I couldn't do it. Um, but I've been told he's good. PJ in particular has insisted that I check him out at some point. Um, so I got two Thomas Hardy books about two years ago, and I finally finally got around to reading one of them. <laughs> uh, the Mayor of Casterbridge. It is good, but he is not on the level of like a Dickens, okay? He's just not. But it's still a very good book. Um, reading it, it doesn't even read like other Victorian books. I'm wondering if it came maybe slightly later. I find it to be a bit more... It's apparently written in 1886. Still pretty much in that time period, a little bit yeah. later maybe than some of our classics, but yeah, it reads to me a little bit more like an American book, actually. I would say the style is closer to like the Scarlet Letter than it is to Thackeray, but um, I did really like it, okay? I really liked it, so that's that's fair. Um, I'll go into the plot summary in a little second, but I'll just go ahead. It's okay. good to have that band just permanently in the studio. Um... <laughs> Ready to perform. So, basically, we don't know that our guy is the mayor initially, but here's how it opens, okay? So we've got a chap called Henshard, and he's there with his wife, and he's in a tavern, and he's drunk. Uh, drunk and re reprobate type. And he says, okay, 
Anybody here want to buy my wife for five pounds? <laughs> and at, at first, people are joking, you know, and then he's like, no, I'm serious. Like, take, take her away. I don't want her. Five pounds, anyone. And a sailor walks in and he's like, okay, I'll take her. Five pounds. And the wife is like, listen, I know you're joking around, but he's just offered the five pounds. And the husband says, I'm not joking. Off you go. So sailor leaves with the wife. Husband wakes up the next day. And he's like, oh, damn it. I've gone and lost my wife and child to this sailor. I've just sold them (laughs) for a fiver. Okay. And that's a time. Not ideal. I mean, yeah, okay, I guess the five was worth a bit more, but still. (laughs) And, uh, you know, so what happens is he then kind of, I mean, she's gone, but he kind of still gaslights her empty space. You know, he's like, if she hadn't let me get drunk and done, you know, this wouldn't have happened. Like, it's her fault somehow, (laughs) you know? Um. So immediately, and this is like the first chapter in your life, so this guy is a real piece of work. Um, Hmm. So he then vows, he's 21 years old, and he says, I will stop drinking one year for every year that I've lived. So he takes a 21-year vow of sobriety. And he does go out and look for his wife. He does try to find her, but he can't. Okay? So, now we cut to the wife with the daughter, the daughter is Elizabeth Jane. Um, and basically, the mother is saying to Elizabeth Jane, like, hey, so your dad, the sailor, is dead. Um, but we do have this old relative, um, Henshard. And, you know, we are, with your dad dead, I don't know what we're supposed to do. So let's see if we can find old Henshard and, uh, you know, maybe he'll help us out financially a little bit, you know. So this girl doesn't know. The mother's called Susan, by the way. Uh, the girl doesn't know that Henshard's her real father. She thinks the sailor was. And why not, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, you probably acted more like a father. Wasn't right. sell it for, well, less than five quid. It is interesting because he does <laughs> buy her, but they skip with that a lot of years. Um, they only allude to him once or twice. As far as we know, he treated her well and they had a good relationship. It does come up later that things went downhill a little bit right at the very end when she eventually realized the five pounds was actually not a legally binding transaction. Yeah, Yeah, it's almost like you can't buy women. (laughs) Yeah, so she doesn't know this for like the majority of the book. Um, And she eventually (laughs) realizes it. Um, I'm going to jump back and forward a little bit because just while I'm on it, in case I forget to come back to it, here's a spoiler. He's not really dead. What happens is he sees that she's figured it out and she's unhappy. And to make her life easier, he pretends to die at sea. So now she's free. That's kind of sweet in a weird way. In a way, right? So she goes and finds Henshard and he's turned his life around. He is now the mayor. He's the church warden. He's really respected in town. He's got a big farming business. And when he meets her, she sends the daughter first to say hello. The mother does the typical Victorian drama. It's like, I've seen him, that's it, that's all I wanted, my life's work is complete, I've seen him from a distance, now I can die in peace. <laughs> the daughter's like, well, I, I see no reason why you would just die, so let, let me go and talk to him. And he gives her money, he's like, there's five pounds straight away. So he pays back the debt, basically, he gives it to the daughter, and says, um, 
you know, there's some money for you. And also, please send your mom around. Like, I, I want to meet you both. I'm really happy to that you're here. And, you know, he's a respected man in town. He hasn't drank in years. And um, now we think that he's really changed and he's a good guy. And to be honest, he more or less is, to be honest. So he then offers to marry the mum. And he says, look, let's do the right thing. We should be together. It's then weird because he tries to explain your marriage to the sailor wasn't real. You're actually still married to me, technically. But hmm. let's pretend that never happened so as not to cause a scandal in town and so as not to confuse the girl. Let's pretend that I'm courting you now and then we'll marry. Oh, okay. So he wants to keep up appearances. Um, so Your favorite television show. Right. Also, yes. apparently, uh, the most exported show from the BBC. Whoa, really? Wow. Apparently, yeah. In Scandinavia, uh, they really love it, I guess. <laughs> Fantastic. They, they were Thank the greatest show of all time. <laughs> Good. Anyway. Um, there is another girl, Lucetta, that he was kind of courting. And he writes her a letter and says, look, I can't keep up our dalliance because... My wife is here, basically. Um, so that's fine. There's a guy called a Scottish guy. His name is Farfrae, but I call him Fanfare because it looks like <laughs> Fanfare. Uh, he's gone off to America, but he has something that can cure ruined grain. So our man is like, "Don't go to America. Just stay here. I'll pay you whatever you want. Be my farm manager." And so the guy stays, and they kind of have a friendship. Henshaw depends on him a lot. But then Henshaw gets really jealous because he's a better farmer than him, he's better with the workers, and he's more liked in the town. And he actually becomes Mr. Popular. He then also starts a dalliance with his daughter. Uh, so he's fired and kicked out and told to go away. Yeah, that's about right. But it turns out the mother wanted him to get with the daughter. Because why not? I mean, she, someone's going to get with her. There is a funny line where the daughter realizes she's attractive, and she's like, all the men in the town will flirt with me, but they've not realized that I'm not a finished girl. You know, she's not had education. And she specifically says, I can't speak Italian or read a globe. What are they going to do with me, you know? <laughs> Without those two skills. <laughs> um, you need to learn your Latin and your Greek. <laughs> <laughs> so... What happens is several sort of several twists, essentially. So the mother is going to die and she leaves a note to Henshard and she says, don't open this till the, you know I'm gone, basically, and until our daughter's already married. But he can't help it and he opens it. So he tells the daughter, by the way, so it all, it all comes out and he eventually tells her, I'm going to reveal a secret to you. You're actually my daughter all along. Because now it's just the two of them left. And he's like, look, you've been my daughter all along. You might as well use my name and legally be my daughter. Right? Mm. And then he reads the letter from the mother. Which says, your daughter died. I had another daughter with a sailor and just gave her the same name. Oh, no. So right after telling her, he then discovers that it's not true. He doesn't know how to untell her, so he just never does and leaves it as a lie. Oh, Which is not good. Awful. 
Yeah. No, it's not. But I know exactly. I would right? do the exact same thing in that situation. <laughs> it's pretty you rough. Such a big hole for yourself. Yep. Then the girl he was going to date comes back. Lucetta hires his daughter to work for her so that he can visit her on pretense of seeing his daughter so that she can then court him and marry him. But then she jilts him for the for his employee, Fanfrey. So Fanfrey oh, no. leaves the daughter and then goes after and ends up marrying his ex, essentially. Then the sailor comes back. He's like, I'm not really dead. I would like my daughter, please. So then the daughter oh, finds out he's no. lied. Oh no. Then he get he his business fails and he's broke. Fanfrey starts up a rival farm, which does much better. His house is gone to the creditors. Fanfrey buys his house. Says to him, please still live in it. You can live with this. It's a big house. There's plenty of space. I've also separately bought mm-hmm. all your furniture at auction. Take it all. Live with me or not. It's all yours. But he's so prideful. He's like, I can't take anything from you. And he physically fights him and beats him up. And he says, you've taken my house. You've taken my wife. You've taken my daughter. And he has, but not through any fault of his own. Oh no. Andrew's trying to be a good guy. And it's so sad. And then the 21 years expire and he starts drinking again. Wow. Because everything's gone to pot. It's so sad. Hey, at least it's a good time. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's, it's the right time to start drinking, I guess. Everything is a disaster. Um, This is only about 330 pages. It's really good, though. Like, this story is full of twists and turns. And in a way, yes, he's bad at the beginning. He really, really does improve and make amends. He's a good guy by the end. Yes, he lies to his daughter, and that's really bad. Don't get me wrong. But in, apart from that, he's trying to be good. Banfrey's yeah. also good, and it's just really bad that things work out that way, and he gets this petty jealousy. And he's right. Like, Banfrey's off he is with his daughter, and his house, and his furniture, and his wife. And now the real father's in, and this guy's exiled. And it's so sad, you know? And he's wor- then he's oh working for Fanfrey. And when the wife comes out, he's like, eh, any idea what time we're allowed to finish? Us per working class folk don't have clocks about us. You know? And he really starts like getting into the um, martyr sort of syndrome. Like, you know, he's just a per working farmer, um, even though he was a gentleman like a month before. Um, and off he goes to wander aimlessly, uh, as they do in all these type of books. And his will... At the very end, Michael Henchard's will. First thing, that his daughter is not told of his death because he doesn't want to inconvenience her in any way or made to grieve on account of me. And then listen to this. This is how he sees himself by the end. He just thinks he's trash. I should not be buried in consecrated ground. No sexton shall toll the the bell. Nobody should see my dead body. No mourners shall walk at my funeral. No flowers shall be put on my grave. No man shall remember me. It's just the most depressing book, isn't it? Kind of. <laughs> oh, so, no. Of course it gets a yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I... Very Victoria, yes. It. <laughs> it's, um... It's kept me interested. It, it was interesting. Like, I kind of didn't see some of the twists coming, and, you know... 
I never thought that she wasn't really going to be the daughter or the the who has two children and just names her a, like a replacement. Like, well, Elizabeth <laughs> Jane's dead. Here comes a new Elizabeth Jane. Here's spot two. Yeah, and to be fair, okay. let's point out the mother until she writes that letter not to be opened until after she's dead and the daughter is married. She lies to this man. She comes back yeah. and says, "We're poor. My husband's left me or died or something. Here is a fake daughter." And she probably said, and our daughter, as in, could be mistaken as his or the sailor's. Yeah. And yeah, that's not, and he that's not good. So it's really tries to make fault. amends, but in a way, yeah. But I mean, of course, he also sold her. So I don't think she owes him anything, you know? Yeah. That's um, also but he's fair. constantly trying to do right by his employee until they fall out, by his daughter, even, even when he finds out she's not his real daughter, by his by both women, you know, he's try- he, he offers to marry them both when he can, when he thinks it's the right moral thing to do. The only time the book confuses me morally is when the daughter finds out that um, Lucetta's going to marry, and she says, either you marry my father or you stay single forever. And she's like, no, I'm going to marry Fanfare. <laughs> and the daughter's like, you can't morally do it. You were once engaged to my father. That is your only option. And the mother's kind of like, why? <laughs> I kind of like that, though. It's like, you made this promise already. so Yeah. And then the mother's like, well, I asked your advice after the fact. I actually married him fanfare yesterday, so it's too late. Fanfrey. Which, for some reason, it's actually I keep Farfrey, imagining... But... <laughs> Farfrey? Okay. I yeah. keep imagining a donkey for some reason. <laughs> like a bray. Yes. So that's that one. I I really liked it. I have to say, I really liked it. So okay. around the world in eighty days. Yeah, we'll get to that in a moment. I just want to make a quick announcement. Um, you can now hear books, boys, on our new one of our. So we always have radio stations that we try to be on, and of course, initially we were on Radio Oxon, and then we were on Atlantic Waves. Sadly, those stations both closed down. But Pacific Coast Aww. FM, the online radio station, where you can now hear episodes of the books boys podcast so uh check them out as well we do like to have a radio home and hello to anyone who's listening to us on there go find our other things booksboys.com and of course as we said patreon.com slash booksboys for only three pounds you can get all of our things uh or three dollars and t-shirts and recommend books and all sorts of stuff and this one is not a joke no sometimes things are jokes sometimes they're not um before we i'm gonna close with around the world in 80 days um, ah, you're going to get to the author one. Yeah, so I have one more book, which I've read, called Sunset in Syria by Howard Kaplan. Hmm. This book was sent to me about eight months ago, and I apologize that it took me so long to get to it. Uh, it's only 200 pages, 220 maybe. It's a short, pretty short book. And it talks about the Arab Spring, uh, 2011. We go back to some stuff that happened in 1982, Hamas um, incidents as well in Syria. I mean, basically, there's some action stuff and some political stuff. I mean, at one point, Obama appears and David Cameron appears, and we have, like, political scenes with, like, Western leaders trying to figure out, you know, what to do uh, in Syria. And this guy specializes in in Middle East books. Um, And there's a sad scene with, like, these, you know, prisoners um, in dark cells, and every time they see light, you know, they think they're getting fed, and so they open the light and they reach out for their food and stuff like that. And there's some you know, real human experiences. Um, But the crux of it for me are two people whose destiny it is to fight and help Syria. 
One is a girl who just has these ideas that, you know, she wants to help. And initially she's helping in small ways until kind of a rebel group find her. Uh, and then they're like, no, don't worry. We're not after you. We we actually want you to join us. We think that your destiny is to do something great and, and help us. Um, and the other is a guy, is a little boy who's with his dad. And the dad says, look, I'm actually your stepdad. Like, I find you and I've been raising you. You do have your real parents. And he's like, yeah, I know. I think the boy does remember that he had real, you know, his original parents. And he says to his dad, did you give the order to have my parents killed? And the dad says, I didn't give it, but I was around. And he takes him to where his parents died and says, I think that you should do good work. Like, you should become a kind of a rebel leader as well almost like you should try to fight and the boy's like but you took me in and raised me did you really love me or did you just want to use me as a tool the whole time and the father says both basically um mm-hmm. and it just you know and it tells the story of that time period from a guy who has a lot of books set in 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 uh, in this geographical sort of region and is a real expert um on it very very good book though i really I give it a yeah, yeah, yeah. I really liked it. Ah, one second, Alex. I will just answer the phone, and I wonder who it could be. Hello, you're through to Books Boys. You've got Dean on the line. Who's calling? Hi, this is Howard Kaplan from Los Angeles. Howard, it's uh, nice of you to call in. I was just talking there about your your book, uh, Syrian Sunset. So how lovely that you would uh, you would call in. Nice coincidence. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm good. I've had a little cold, but that's just winter sniffles. I'm doing all right. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Well, it's fantastic that you'd call in. As I say, we were just chatting about your book. Um, we get authors calling in a lot, but a lot of them are, you know, maybe first time authors and things like that. But you've actually released a number of books already. Yes, it's six or seven. I'm not exactly sure myself. I forget. Because <laughs> there's one of them that's um, not, there isn't a new edition. Some of my books were written, I've been around a while, mm-hmm. uh, before computers. Oh, okay. So the the problem becomes when they want to re-release them, there's no word file. And you can't do a digital book a Kindle or a mm. iBook without a word file. Sure, sure. So they actually have to type the whole book into Word. There's no way to scan mm. it that works. So I have one of the books that isn't available, but all the rest are either newer. The Syrian Sunset's my latest book, so sure. Uh, so that one is readily available. Cool. And why why only one that's been skipped? Is it not one that uh, you want to get done or? It just was, uh, the other books seemed to fit more together. Right. And this one was a little bit, of, it was about, uh, I actually would have been in the Soviet Union and I was arrested in Russia when I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And I did an autobiographical novel about that. So it sort of didn't fit with the rest of the Middle East books. So right, I okay. may do it still, but it's just... Well, I mean, that's that's something I wanted to ask you about. So, um, obviously, when I read the book, I decided to check check you out, read a little bit of info on your website and things like that. And I, yeah, I was surprised you you traveled to the Soviet Union to do some uh, manuscript smuggling uh, by the looks of things. Yes, and I actually did them out of London, so I was in your backyard a bit. Wow. Okay. Uh, 
I met some people from both British intelligence and Israeli intelligence, and they wanted me. I've been to, I was in Russia twice. The second time I was arrested. So my career as a spy ended when I was very young. Uh, but the first time I brought a roll of microfilm out from Moscow back to Heathrow. Wow. And I succeeded in managing to do that. So we've interviewed people who've written books about spies. Um, I've not interviewed a, a spy before. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, my career was so brief. Although my best story is, I don't know if I can, if I can find it really quickly, I'll show you. Excuse me for jumping away. Um, I don't know where I put it. Oh, here it is. I do have it. Now that we're in a visual world, um, this was a copy of The Hobbit, British edition, mm-hmm. Unwin Books. I don't know what that is, but I bet you do. That I bought in the UK mm-hmm. and I took, I think you can see this now. Yeah, yeah. I took into Russia with me. So what do you see here? You see brown splotches yeah. and then writing over with ink. I was wow. taught to write in the book in milk. And the milk then becomes invisible when it dries. And when you come out, which I did in London, you take a regular household iron and you iron the pages and the milk burns and it's readable. And the ink is just, I went over the uh, the writing. You so went over it then. Yeah, wow. with the ink. But it became brown enough that you could distinguish it from the background burns because unlike... Legends of Spies, I don't know if it's true or not, who can remember everything, I could not. <laughs> but this is fantastic. This is some uh, movie-level uh, spy movie stuff, you know, with the secret writing and everything. Fantastic. How uh, did you get involved in that? Uh, I started out that I was at Berkeley as an undergraduate, and I met a professor from Columbia University, and it was during the student riot era, And he came to me and said he was going to teach in the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And he, I was not very good at math, but he made the following suggestion to me. He says, I'll take you with me to Jerusalem for a year and get you in the university. And what makes more sense? Four years of rioting in Berkeley or three years of rioting in Berkeley and one year in Jerusalem. So I found the math compelling. And from there, I traveled because I was just curious to the Arab countries. I was in Lebanon and Syria, and that became, you know, the basis of my interest in Syria Mm. to write the Syrian sunset about the Syrian civil war. And I joined a group. I guess they were Israeli intelligence people. And they used to train us once a week in things like this milk. And then I went to London and met a few people. And they said, okay. We wanted one guy from the group to bring out the microfilm. We think it's you. Wow. So I was crazy enough and young enough that I said, sure, let's do it. I'd be terrified. <laughs> and uh, I did go. And I stayed in the Metropole Hotel in Moscow, across from the Bolshoi, which is now the scene of a very wonderful novel that I read recently called A Gentleman in Moscow, which is completely set inside the Metropole Hotel. Nice. Okay, cool. 
And apart from your autobiography of your spy encounter, you mentioned that the rest of your books, the rest of your novels are all sort of Middle East based. And that's an area you've studied, right? That's what you, that's what you're essentially an expert in, in that now. That's what your area of expertise. Yes. You know, it just, I think most lives are like this. Um, you know, you meet your partner at a party. If you didn't go to that party, you wouldn't have met that person. Yeah. And I just happened to meet this professor at Berkeley and talked to him a bit. And he said, come with me to Jerusalem. So I went and I just thought the whole, you know, Lebanon was fascinating. Both Lebanon and Syria have a lot of Roman ruins. Oh, and I went to I went to Cairo, you know, and some of them quality of the Parthenon, you know, in Baalbek mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. Eastern Lebanon. And then I went into Syria and I spent some time in Syria and I I was just amazed by everything I hadn't expected. Syria is about we talk in miles, you know, so 50 miles from, I think it's about 100 kilometers, something like that, from the ocean. And unbeknownst to me, Syria is, an, uh, Damascus is an oasis. It's one of the oldest conti- continuously inhabited cities on the earth because there's an underground river from Lebanon that goes up and into Damascus, branches off into seven rivers. And Damascus is a tremendous oasis with beautiful orchards, you know, apricots, nuts, about everything you could imagine while we think desert. And it was a caravan stop. You see in the Syrian sunset, I write a little bit about one of the caravan, um, Mm -hmm. old caravan stops. So I just thought it was such a exotic and lesser known uh, area. So I wrote two novels about it the earlier one was the damascus cover which was my first novel and then i wrote these other middle eastern novels in between about israel and palestine and the syrian sunsets my last novel and many years after the damascus cover was published it was filmed out of the uk with jonathan reese myers and Sir John Hurt in his final film, and it's around wherever films reside to be rented. Fantastic. Yeah, I read that online and I'll have to go and watch it now because that's that's fantastic. And the interest in the Middle East, you know, it's an area I can't say I, I know a huge amount about it, but I do see that obviously your 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 degree is in Middle East history. Now I did study history myself, but you mentioned Roman. Um, my my degree was in Greek and Roman history and philosophy. Um, so that's what I studied. But Middle Eastern history is not an area that we, we really got into very much. A little well, bit. Well, all my it. novels are, I mean, I always like this. They're, they're sort of heavily historical and also very detailed with description. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are many streets. The main street in Damascus is called the street called Straight, which is the leftover from, I forgot the technical name for it, the main road in a Roman city, mm-hmm. which always, you know, ran through the center of the city and had columns on both yeah, sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can still f- see the columns there in various places in Damascus. So uh, I actually, it was another British experience when the editor of my first novel, the Damascus cover, bought it. I went to New York to see him and he handed me a book by a British author, Irish. I think he was British. I'm not sure. 
Gerald Seymour called Harry's Game about Northern Ireland. Ah, right where it's I an am. old book, you know, right. So you, you might not know it because it's a pretty old book. Mm. But he says Harry's Game did such a fabulous job of depicting Belfast. He said, you smell okay. Belfast, you see it. He said, I want you to rewrite the Damascus cover and do that for Damascus. Mm. And I did. And then later it became kind of a signature of all my books that they had very great and detailed description of the cities they resided in. Okay. You know, in particular, the Syrian sunset takes place mostly in Damascus with some of it in uh, Lebanon. Yeah. And that's been one of the things people have liked about the novels. Yeah, yeah. So that was a good tip from that editor then. <laughs> I think it changed my writing life, you know, yeah. because it, it it taught me, you know, and he handed me a copy of the book. He, I don't remember if he published it or not, or he got it for mm. me. But literally right on the spot, he said, read this. Read it. And I want you to do for Damascus what he did for Belfast. Fair. I'll have to read this night. This is interesting to me. Obviously, I live, you know, 15 minutes from Belfast, so that's very interesting. Yes, it made me, well, you know, I can hear your accent. Right? <laughs> I got accustomed to it a little bit from Jonathan Reese Myers mm. on the set, so I recognized it pretty rapidly. Well, I loved reading, so I've, I've read Syrian Sunset uh, this week, and I, I loved reading it, and I should say that, you know, yeah, we're dealing with war, of course, it's interesting that we get some, you know, political aspect, especially sort of near the end. We see like Obama appearing. They talk about our former prime minister, David Cameron, who coincidentally is now our foreign affairs minister again. And um, we get some some of the political aspect as well as the war aspect, because, of course, those go hand in hand. But we get some human aspect as well. You know, when we have um, asking people, you know, would you like to join the resistance uh, and seeing, you know, with the one girl, is it Lilia? And then also, of course, when Saeed tells his son, his kind of adopted uh, son, you know, well, your parents died here. And he says, well, were you, were you actually responsible for that? And he says, well, I wasn't responsible necessarily, but I was still part of the whole thing. I was there, I was involved. You know, I didn't. Yeah, I have a, I have someone writing a film treatment. It doesn't mean we have a film deal. Mm. That's just, and he called me up a couple of weeks ago and he said, I started crying when I read that scene. That bit, yeah. That's the you that's know? my most memorable scene, I think. From yes. The, the, yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting to me. I probably have to go back and reread it because now I've had two people say to me that mm. this this particular scene, yeah, uh, particularly struck them. And you feel bad for the boy because there's that bit where he kind of says, "Well, you, you know, yeah, you looked after me and you helped me. Was it just because you then wanted to kind of use me as a tool?" And the answer is kind of. Sort of, yeah. Like both. both. I think like, the answer I is I also both. do love you, but but yeah. <laughs> yes, and that's how I conceived it. I can't tell you what the reason was, but I wanted it to be that his father is a head of military intelligence, and he both had a long-term plan to use his son to insinuate him in the Syrian chemical mm -hmm. weapons industry. But he equal I have a son who's now 30, and a lot of the template for the love between them. Even some of the scenes are exactly replicated from things my son and I said right. to each other. Okay. Although my son said them to me in New Mexico on vacation. And okay. not slightly uh, different. Yes, <laughs> but but the relationship is is the same. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's not 
as a main character, pure as the driven snow. You know, he did believe he was willing to use his son for what he thought was a greater good. Yeah. And that's up to, I guess, the reader to say how you feel about that. But yeah. some person wrote some, I uh, wrote a review and they said, excuse me, I read a review and they said it took a little while to warm up to the mm. father because of that. But after a, a while, they came to care about him very much. Yeah. I think that's that's a fair comment, actually. Um, and it's interesting as well when we talk about, you know, the red kind of Obama's uh, red lines and, and this type of stuff and the influence that the the West has had, which I would argue is mostly been negative. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to turn it into a political discussion. I want to kind of stick with the book. But it is a shame to see the amount of destabilization of the Middle East that, that has happened, you know. Right. From, people from didn't step in West. to help these people. Yeah. And Obama, I think Obama, all that stuff is historically accurate, both the Obama scenes and the David Cameron scenes. And I think the British Parliament, Cameron's party, some of, I think, 13 people broke ranks to go to vote against helping Mm. Syria because they were angry at Tony Blair following George Bush yeah. into Iraq, which was a huge blunder. Sure. So in one of these terrible moments of history, the West should not have gone into Iraq and left that alone. And because they did and didn't want to face another something that didn't work, they refused to go into Syria where they should have. And they, they probably have could have gone in with cruise missiles without boots on the grounds and taken out Assad's Air Force and the helicopter gunships that were killing so many civilians, but everybody lacked the will because they were looking behind them and not wanting another disaster. And Iraq clearly was a disaster for everyone. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. Well, let me ask you then, now that this one came out actually over, a little bit over a year ago, what what's next? Are you working on something well, else? Two things. One is uh, I hired a um, Jordanian screenwriter who wrote and directed an Emmy award-winning small film to do a treatment and then a screenplay. Mm-hmm. And I've just now started a novel about Gaza okay, with sure. the same characters as the Syrian sunset. So ah. it's not so much a sequel, a lot of my books are have some repeating characters. Mm-hmm. Shy from the Syrian sunset appears in earlier books, but they're all standalones. In other words, sure, they, sure. you don't have to have read them or in any order. It just becomes a sequel or a prequel mm-hmm. or whatever. And the Syrian sunset is the most standalone. It it's really unrelated completely to the okay. other novels. So I would like to do something about Gaza. I've been highly frustrated by the barbarity on both sides, which yeah. means the Hamas attack and and the, the the just the abusing of women and slicing people up. And the Israeli overreaction of now killing upwards of 10,000 children in Gaza and almost without a tear, almost without... You know, they're so traumatized. But 
this doesn't give them justification to do this. Of course. So this would be so, you writing a novel that's, yeah, I mean, it's still set in the Middle East. It's still similar than to your other stuff, but actually very, very current. Yes. You know, I, I, it's been, it took me a long time to get started. Mm. Uh, partially because events were developing on the ground so fast and partially because I was just kind of overwhelmed. That's not the right word. Depressed is maybe closer <laughs> at the amount of killing on both sides. I know. These people are just involved in a tit for tat kind of mentality rather than looking for solutions. Yeah. So now I'm about 20 pages into it. And hopefully I have the direction to keep going. Hopefully, hopefully. Well, one or two final questions before I let you go. The first one is, do you want to tell people where they can get the book or plug your website or something like that? Uh, my website, there's a lot of interviews like about, you know, my rest in Russia in that. It's very simple. If you have, it's Howard Kaplan, if you have the spelling of my name, mm-hmm. books, howardkaplanbooks.com. Cool. I'll put a link and as the, well in the show notes. Yes. And the best uh, place to find them are on Amazon. I mean, we're just in a new world, you know, where I can do a Zoom to you from Los Angeles and you could, you know, click and you'll have the book in a day or yeah. the Kindle immediately. It's uh, uh, super convenient if, I don't know, I'm a bit of a, te- I'm a bit of a, you know, technophobe a little bit. I find it a bit dystopian, despite the fact that it's also massively convenient. So... Yes, I think that's the struggle. But, you know, for authors, you're kind of, you know, people love the purity of trying to buy books at independent bookstores. But in truth, the mammoth amount of sales are from Amazon. Yeah, absolutely. It's just the world that we're in. So let me ask you, you, Howard, one final question. We ask this to every author who comes on the show. If there's any existing book that you wish you had been the person to write, what would it be? Oh, I would say that would be Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, the Le Carre novel. I think that's the best of all his many mm. brilliant books. And I've read it a few times and seen the various TV adaptations. I think the old one was with a, was with Alec Guinness. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't... How can I say this? I don't feel frustrated that I can't write at that level. Um. I am content with the work that I've done and the kind of writing that I've done. And I acknowledge that there are some people who are just head and shoulders over almost everybody else. And certainly Mm -hmm. in the, in the serious thriller business, which is what I write, there's nothing better than Le Carre. You know, there's Graham Greene, there's other people, but there's still Le Carre at the top of the heap. Sure. Well, Howard, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for calling in. I love the book, as I say. I'll put a link to your uh, website in the show notes, and hopefully we'll get a few more people to go and check it out. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Take care. Well, there we go. Howard Kaplan calling in. So lovely to chat to him about his books. Yeah, uh, you told me a little bit uh, about him before, and it sounds like he's one of the most interesting uh, people you've ever interviewed for the show. Yeah, honestly, I I liked the book. Um, I wouldn't necessarily, yeah, he's not necessarily my absolute favorite book, but in terms of the author, most interesting author we've talked to. Uh, not that many people are an actual spy going to like steal documents from <laughs> Russia. So that's 
actually really freaking cool. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Um, really cool guy, really nice guy. Um, I would certainly read any more of his books. Um, if we had the the chance to do it. But now, let's go ahead and play this. Welcome back to part two with the Dean and Alex, the Books Boys. Woo! Whoa, baby! I mean, I feel like we're it's supposed to be at the halfway mark, and I think we're at the three-quarter mark, but since I stopped releasing the shows in two parts, it actually is redundant, but I like the jingle. So, um... Ah. Do you want me to do Around the World, or do you want to do yours? You decide. Let's do Around the World. Okay. So, everyone already knows this. <laughs> so, Jules Verne. Yeah, exactly. Around the World in 80, 80 Days. <laughs> Phineas Fogg. Yep, Phineas Fogg and Passport 2. Right. Yes, played by Jackie Chan. Or, yes. well, did you watch the Disney one with, like, Mickey Mouse and all that? I don't know. I think I watched, like, some old 70s or 80s one. You probably ones, saw, <laughs> yeah, one of the earlier ones. I grew up with like the Jackie Chan one and the uh, yeah the Disney one. Mm. Look, I'm gonna go ahead and just immediately. This was a lot of fun. I looked at this and I thought, how is this only 240 pages? Like, isn't there a big story to tell? Um, mm. there kind of isn't. He just travels around the world, <laughs> and it's very quick. <laughs> so he makes the bet, travels around the world, and yeah. then by some bad well i don't know well look let's get into it he the ending i'm not entirely sure about he's a bit of a um i don't want to say recluse he goes to one club i think it's called the regency club but all the other rich people were members of many clubs and they went to like a lot of parties and events this guy's a bit eccentric like he has his one club where he goes because he eats his meals there doesn't talk to anyone really that much plays the old game of cards with people a little bit but He's a little bit eccentric, keeps to himself a little bit. Doesn't seem to work. No one knows where he gets his money from, but he seems to be mega rich. Okay. There's also a story that there has recently been a bank robbery. And someone's walked away with a lot of money. Okay. He applies for a new servant, and Passepartout joins his um, service as his only servant. So... I'm going to get this up because I want to read these statistics here. They say that one of the newspapers has published stats that you can, in theory, it's the Daily Telegraph, which we still have. It's not a good paper. Still say that you can <laughs> go around the whole world in 80 days. And this is the estimation that they say. From London to Suez, seven days by rail and steamboats. Then on to Bombay by steamer, 13 days. From Bombay to Calcutta by rail, three days. They spent a lot of time in India, actually. Then from Calcutta on to Hong Kong, 13 days why. thirteen days by steamer. From Hong Kong to Japan, six days by steamer. From Yokohama to San Francisco, round to America, 22 days by steamer. From San Francisco to New York, seven days by rail. And then from New York to London by steamer and rail, nine days. And that's a total of 80 days. That's the plan. And everyone thinks, yeah, maybe it's theoretically possible, but like, 
does does the public transport system even allow for that? Like, what if you arrive and the boat isn't until tomorrow? You know, like, it's not all lined up just to work like that, you know? Yeah, I mean, it technically possible, but some of them could be translink. Right? <laughs> there could be delays. <laughs> there could just be that the services don't run every day. You know, how, what do we do here? But the guy's just like, no. Pilly's folks like, yeah, I'll do it. It's fine. He takes the bet. He says, there's a check. If I don't come back uh, in 80 days, cash that. And there's 20,000 pounds. Which back then was a lot of money. Like so it was a, a lot of money. <laughs> yes. So a lot of money. And um, he you know, he's not worried about it, but it is essentially his entire fortune. I was trying to remember, they do talk about what it would cost, like a house or something. And I think it was like, I can't remember. There is one instance in the book where they tell us the price of something that allows you to kind of put in context what 20 grand is. Um, yeah, I think it turns out that he's super, super rich and doesn't have to work, yes. but this is like his entire fortune or something. So so I think 20 grand is like a million, you know? Um, so he says to Passport 2, well, it's your first day on the job, but off we go. We're, we're doing these travels and they go do the travels. And there's a couple of bits. I'm just going to give it. The book is not like super, you know, racist or anything. But it is an old book and there's just a couple of bits I don't like, especially like in India and stuff. There's a little bit of colonialist mindset. Um, I don't really like that. I'm just going to say it once here, you know. Does the book have passport to the uh, person of color? He's French. Okay, just French. Because yes. I feel like in every version that I've seen, so like the old versions and mm. like you'll have them be uh, like black, Asian or yeah, just because he's you a helper. It. Yeah, but I, as far as I can recall, they just say that he's French. I don't think they say anything further. Okay. Yeah, so it just seems to be what they did in the movies. Mm. Um, so they, they go on their on the travels and it's it's quite a fun book, to be honest. Um they get on. They get in some trouble in India because they fail to. Well, they get in trouble twice actually. Once because they fail to observe some customs. I think they're supposed to. There's an area that's it's a Brahmin temple, and they are a particularly strict religious sect actually. And Passport Two like wanders in and doesn't take his shoes off and things like this. So they're gonna, you know, they they cause a religious sort of incident. Um. Then some guys up in the mountains are going to sacrifice a live woman. And I don't know how accurate that would have been. Yeah, that sounds pretty racist. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they rescue her anyway. I yeah. imagine it's like, oh, look at these savages. And it, it, it's there, a, little, a little bit of that. Yeah, there are some cultures. Yes, but it probably not done so well she's called something like mrs Ayuda, but basically they take her with them so their party becomes three but she does almost nothing um so they go around you know they're in the different places there's detective fix and detective fix thinks that he's the robber because he's just heard this guy's traveling around with a bag full of like 20 grand in it and he's this you know eccentric stuffy old englishman but as far as I know, an eccentric, stuffy old Englishman just robbed a bank and has like thousands of pounds and is on the run. So it's obviously him. 
So he's following him around the whole time, trying to get him. And he follows him all across. And the idea is he can go to all these places because these places are all in the British Empire. So he can exercise his police powers. But he has to wait for the warrant to come from England every time. So there's like big delays. You're like, I'm here right with you. I'll just wait for this warrant to arrive. If you just give me uh, several days, I'll be able to arrest you. So he's inefficient. Um, and he doesn't, you know, have much success. Well, that's the political system. Yeah. So they go around and um, then they get, you know, as I say, they get across Japan, they get to Hong Kong, they go to a lot of places, they take the, the girl with them. Uh, at one point, Passport 2 joins a circus, which is quite funny. So they get separated and he's like, ah, oh, my master's going to America next. What do I do here? Hold on, this traveling circus is going to America. So he just joins. And then he has to like <laughs> do some tricks or something. He has to be a servant. And they're like, well, we, we don't need a servant, but do you want to be a clown? <laughs> I was just about to say, like, was he Pagliacci? Like... <laughs> he becomes a clown and then he's actually performing and falls at his master's feet. And his master's, for some reason, decided to see the circus and takes him out of there. And the circus owner is very mad that he's lost his new star or whatever. So that was kind of that funny. That sounds so cartoonish. That's very cartoonish. They get arrested at one point as well. But of course, he's got lots of money. So he just pays out all the bail. There's no problem. He's like, cool, what's the bail? Thousands. Okay, here are thousands. You know, um, to get across Tens India, thousands? <laughs> he, he also buys an elephant at one point, spends like a quarter of the trip's budget on an elephant um, to travel around. At one point, it's quite funny when they get to America, he falls out with this American colonel because he crushes his hat. And he's like, well, we don't have time now. We're on a tight schedule. But when I get back to England, I will specifically come back to America to duel with this person because no one disrespects <laughs> an Englishman anywhere in the world. God damn it. And the colonel's like, I mean, we can just do it now. It's like, well, we're on the train. So they tell the conductor, this train's due to stop for 10 minutes, isn't it? Uh, we're going to fight a duel during those 10 minutes. <laughs> and the conductor says, oh, gentlemen, I would love to facilitate that. I'm so sorry. But we're actually behind schedule, so the train won't be stopping for 10 minutes. But you can just do your duel right here on the train. <laughs> uh, and again, yeah. obviously it's not quite racist in this case, but it's the same idea. This is an uh, this idea of like the, the stereotypical racist stuff he was saying about the other countries. He's now got stereotypical stuff about America, you know? So he's like, all the Americans are running around just shooting their guns all the time. It's the same type of mindset. And you know. nothing's changed in the past 130 years. Yeah, so that bit was accurate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, oh, of course they would just shoot a gun on the train. Um, but the train gets robbed, and Passbar 2 saves the day by breaking the train. But then all somehow they just... It's very weird. There's like no staff on the train apart from the conductor. And he's like, well, I don't know what to do, so I'll just let Phileas Fogg and his servant take control of the train for some reason. So they stop the train, but then it actually causes a delay and Passport 2 gets kidnapped and they have to rescue him. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry, Master. I've, you know. Funny side bit. Um, they leave in such a hurry that Passport 2 leaves the gas stove burning and they don't have time to go back to the house to fix it. Uh, they realize like 10 minutes later and he's like, well, you're going to have to leave it running for 80 days, but it's coming off your wages. It also costs more than your daily wage to burn it per day. So you're making a loss for this entire trip. 
Oh no. <laughs> Which is just horrendous. And it, it never gets resolved. There's not a moment at the end where he's like, I'm just kidding, I'm super rich, I'll pay the burner. Nope. You probably just forgot about it by the end. Yeah. So Yeah, I mean they just travel around, there's funny bits, there's you know, slightly suspicious bits. Um they almost have several delays, but Phileas Fogg is so good that they never really do until the very end. And he has a lot of, like, he's super cool he- level-headed, you know? So no matter what happens, he's like, yeah, it's fine. We'll deal with it. Never panics, never, you know, everything's fine. It's always just, you know, stiff upper lip, level head, keep calm and carry on. And uh, keep calm and read your dickens. Um, so he keep he keeps going. And when they get to America, they're no longer in British territory. So now... Instead of trying to stop them, the policeman tries to help them because he wants to get them back to Britain where he can arrest him. <laughs> Makes sense. And he reveals all this to Passepartout, who for some reason never tells his master. I don't know why. He really supports his master, Phileas. He just doesn't bother to tell him, oh yeah, this companion who's been suspiciously with us at every site we've visited is, um, you know, part of the, is, is going to arrest you. So they land back in England and immediately, of course, get arrested. Um, yeah. And then, of course, like they get arrested and that makes it look like they're going to be late. Yeah. I should note also, there's a funny line. Phileas Fogg was one of those Englishmen who's content to see the world through the eyes of his servant. He has no interest in seeing any of these places that he's in. Oh. Stays in the boat, doesn't get out of the boat, has no interest at all in seeing any of these cool places. Like, he's in India, he's in Japan, he's in Hong Kong. Suez, no interest at all. Just wanted to win the bet. Yeah. They even start in Paris. I don't think he's interested in Paris either. Um, So they get they get back. They have to, like, buy a ship because the ship they miss the ship and they have to buy another boat and then they run out of fuel. So they cut the mast off the boat and start burning the bits of the boat while the other bits are still traveling to eventually get to <laughs> Liverpool and then they they, they 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 arrive back in London eventually. Um and they think they're five minutes late. Now look in this is the, the most unrealistic part of the whole book. If you've just gone around the world in 80 days and you arrive back five minutes late, you would just go in anyway and be like, okay guys, here I am. Apologies I'm five minutes late, you know? They would obviously allow that. But he's just like, <laughs> well Maybe not playing board games with uh, you guys. I would allow that. You um, would, you would. But when it comes to a bet... Because it's still 80 days. 80, 80 days and 5 minutes is 80 days. <laughs> because, you know, we don't measure uh, but days... But you have to round that up. But we don't measure yeah. days to the minute. Like, if I say you, I'll see you in 3 days' time, but I arrive an hour later, you're not just like, well, what the hell is this? You know. But you also wouldn't have, like, 3.1 people. You round that up to 4 full people. You know the person who's betting against Phineas would be like, nope, he did not make the cutoff. He is late. Well, they actually seem quite reasonable, though, because they said, we don't even want proof from you. We'll just take your word from it if, for it if you arrive back. He could have just been in a hotel for 80 days, as far as they knew. Actually, he does collect proofs. He keeps a log as he goes, but they told him not to bother. But yeah, when it gets, they're sitting there, and as the 10-minute timer is coming down, five minutes left, they're like, okay, let's go cash the check. He's obviously not coming. Um... Then what happens is, of course, he's a day early. 
because they've gone all the way around the world and gone through all the time zones and he's ended up arriving back a day early. Now, here's I the plot hole. Yeah, so I don't think that's right. <laughs> no. If they think that they're a day early because like uh, of the, what is that? The whatever line mm. where it goes from like east to west and all that. If they are about to cash that check, it's been 80 days for them. It's still been 80 days for them, yeah. So it doesn't matter if, like, you gained a day coming back because you would have lost... You still... It doesn't matter about your trip. It's been 80 days in England, so... They say that it hasn't. That's the thing. They say that it felt it was 80 days for him, but they lost a day. I don't know. It's, it's, it's not really explained. But basically, he arrives and thinks he's a day late, but he's not. So this is what this is why I say you would go to the place anyway and say, sorry, I'm five minutes late. What does he do? He just goes home. He's like, I'm five minutes late. I guess the bet's over. I'll just go home and not tell anyone I'm back. And then mm. the next day, Passepartout is like, oh my God, we were a day early. You've got 10 minutes to get to the center. You can still make the bet. Run, run, run. And he runs down and he makes it. And he walks in. They're literally counting. It, and it is like three, oh, two, okay. wow, I'm here, you know. Maybe it is okay. So yeah, they did it in 79 days. Apparently, yeah. And then there's a weird line where Passepartout's like, actually, we could have done it in 78. And he's just like, I go away. He just dismisses that. I don't know where <laughs> that even comes from. He's like, nah, nah, never mind. Then the woman who's with them is like, I love you. And he's like, I love you too. And they then get married. And it kind of comes out of nowhere, to be honest. Like He's like, well, yeah. we've brought you back from the savages. So I guess you're free to go. And she's just like, but I love you. And he's like, I love you too. Um, where there was no prelude to this. <laughs> yeah, but if we go by your rules, Dean, every single book has to end with a, end with a romance. It so, does, uh, but if only there'd been any hint of it, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> you even forget that she's a character half the I, time. I forgot she existed. She's never yeah. mentioned hardly, and then it's just like, oh, yes, they're cool. And and he's like, I would give up my whole fortune for you. Like, I'm just this is the most important thing now is that I'm with you. I'm just like. I don't believe this, <laughs> to be honest. But okay, if you're saying it. Um, he might not have known how to completely finish the book, but it is it is pretty much the epitome of all adventure stories. Yeah, and it, look, it's a really fun read. Uh, I would have padded it out a bit more. Like some of the places, just like, then they pass through France, then they pass through Hong Kong. I'm like, you could write a book about that, you know? <laughs> Yeah, but also I like that you have the like Indiana Jones map where you just draw mm. the lines and it's like, hey, yeah, we're yeah. there. I guess it is good. Maybe if it had been longer, it would have got boring. Like it definitely doesn't outstay its welcome. And that's a good thing. You know, I read it in two days. I could have read it in one day if I'd pushed myself, to be honest. I just split it in two. Um, very, very quick to get through. And yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I the, Maybe the ending is a little bit weaker, but of course he wins the bet and that's fine. And there's, there's all these bets going on. There's um, Phileas Fogg bonds on the exchange that are like the the value of the bonds is going up and down depending on whether or not they think he can succeed. Then when they think he's the robber, he's his whole reputation is trashed. Oh, so I should mention, sorry, spoiler here, but when he arrives back, he almost misses it because Fix arrests him and then comes back and is like, I'm sorry, while we've been traveling, they've actually found the real robber and arrested him. So it wasn't you. And then he punches the detective in the nose. <laughs> <laughs> and does not get rearrested, <laughs> and um, then off he goes. Now I don't know who Fix's boss is. 
but it'd be like, you're literally a London policeman. You have just spent like the entire year's budget traveling all the way around the world yes. chasing the wrong guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's going to be in so much trouble. <laughs> but yeah, they make it in the end and it's it's all it's all good. Fine and dandy. Yeah. It's a it's a really fun book though. I I did really enjoy it. I I didn't know if I would, to be honest. I was kind of like, is this going to be enjoyable? Is it going to be boring? Because I remember reading Gulliver's Travels, and that was you, really, really boring. You see, I thought you were going to say, like, Hunchback of Notre Dame, you know, those just classic movies that are from the classic books and yeah. don't really hold up. There is the occasional little sexist joke as well. Um, they meet some Mormons when they're in America, and, you know, they're like, oh, we heard you can have many wives, and this one guy is, like, having a a problem with his wife they're arguing and i can't quite remember what happens and they say to him like how many wives have you got and he's like didn't you see that one's enough oh you know bloody women you know <laughs> that kind of thing and it's like okay i don't think we need that to be honest but <laughs> okay that's such a joke of the time even into the 80s 90s i definitely still 2000s. hear people say things like that today in northern ireland yeah yeah uh right so my book <laughs> there we go I I was a chapter away from finishing. Like oh, so you, can't even, you can't even see how many pages are left. Can no, you? it looks like it's done. It looks like it's in the back cover. <laughs> yeah, it basic my bookmark basically is. So I can talk about this book pretty much completely. Um I'm what, ten pages away from finishing at this point. It's sad. But right, so I read Narciss and Goldmoon, which a lot of people had never heard of. Uh, but this is one of PJ's favorite books. He's and... been telling you to read this for, I feel like, since I met you. So, yeah, pretty much. He sent me a picture of, like, three books that he said are his favorites uh, probably, like, three years ago. Then when we went to visit him in Galway... You, that's when you bought it, I remember. That's yeah. when I bought it. Um, I think over that summer, I read the first, like, 40 pages and put it down for a year and a half. Um... <laughs> okay. Was it... Because it wasn't good, or? I mean, it's not a book, I think, that is immediately going to grip you. I Even until, like, page 100, 150, 200, I'm like, do I like this? And okay. I'm still a little unsure, so I'm going to talk through it. I think I know which way I'm leaning. Okay. But, so we start off with uh this boy goldmund uh entering this cloister where narciss is a teacher and kind of spoiler he eventually becomes an abbot so these two kind of they're your main characters but goldmund is your actual main character right narciss is there for maybe a third of the book oh that's little. Um, it really is that little i was so surprised um it's kind of a spoiler as well that he's in the first like 60 pages and the last 50 pages. Right. Okay. So he how long, how long is the end. book? 300. 300 I, I, I honestly, I thought it was shorter than that. Okay. So it's a good like, book. It really is. So I want to kind of discuss a little bit about the style first. So it's originally German and there are apparently sure. two translations so we heard this from Kieran when we went, uh, so PJ's dad, that uh, one of them is a good translation, one is a bad translation. Right. Don't get the American version, get the British version. I have the British version, and good. I must say, it is 
very poetic. And okay. sometimes it's to its downfall. Did you not like the translation? No, I actually did like the translation. I did like the translation. Okay. Um, but sometimes I will read a sentence and be like, wow, that's really beautiful. And then read it again and be like, this has no meaning. This really means nothing. Ah, okay. <laughs> so it's like that poetic where then you're like, it's hold poetic on. This is philosophy. Yeah, it's philosophy and you know what? I think you could read this slowly, get each bit, and find that there is a ton of meaning in this book. I didn't spend as much time with it, uh, partly because I was reading it for this. Would but I like this? That I, I'm getting there, actually. Okay. Um, so, one thing about this... So, yeah, it's... It's very poetic, and that, to me, makes it a bit meditative. Like, I was able to just, like, lie down, read through this. I go at a pretty just relaxing pace with this because maybe I'm not always entirely paying attention to um, some of the philosophy in it because you can kind of skip those parts. But it immediately brings you back when you get to, like, the dialogue and, like, the key bits happening. Okay. Some things do happen a bit fast. So like he's at the cloister and then he runs into a, a gypsy woman who he then leaves the cloister for because he feels like he's in love with her. They sleep together that night and then the next morning she leaves to go with a husband that she has who beats her. It's like, okay. Oh, goodness. Right. This happened in a page and a half. <laughs> Oh, wow. So this is not a padding type of book. This is just a, well, here's the summary of what's going on. It'll have a lot of what's like his internal feelings and his emotions. And it puts his emotions into the words very well. I feel like I understand this person by the way that Herman Hesse writes. Okay. Um, other thing is Herman Hesse is known for Steppenwolf, probably a bit more famous. That's the one I've heard of. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did actually have earlier this week, um, so or last week, I had it on my desk, and the person next to me is like, oh, Narcissus Goldman. I've heard of that. I heard it's really, really good. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, now, do I think that you would like it? I think you would really love it. Really? Um, okay, I think of that all the books, me. I think of all the books that I have read that this book is for you. Wow, because like, it didn't I, sound like that's where you what you were going to say. No, yeah. Um, I think you would like this character. I think you would like the way it's written. And I think you would okay. like some of the ways that... Some of the things that happen in it. Um, so we were talking earlier about, you know, like uh, the mother who died after being so relieved that uh, like yes. the family's okay. Within the beginning of this, so Goldmoon's a child, Narcissus is a teacher, and they become really, really good friends. Goldmoon doesn't really remember much of his childhood, um, and he was given over by his father, um, so he doesn't really know his mother. And I think it was to make up for like the mother's sins or something. She wasn't with the church. I think she was like heathen Some or something. Usual, yeah. Yeah. And Narcissus says at one point that you forget your childhood. 
And for some reason, that line, you forget your childhood, resonated so deeply with Goldmoon that he ends up like kind of getting a fever, going outside, swaying around, fainting, oh, wow. okay. <laughs> and ending up in like a hospital bed because this resonated so much with him and hurt him so like deeply to the soul. And I'm like, Dean would love this. I'm now tempted <laughs> to just hit yeah, 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 as soon as I hear this. You are tempted, yes. Um, so there's that bit, but the main thing about Goldmund is he's a lecher, and he ends up being a vagabond. So he leaves with that gypsy woman, and then he just never goes back to the cloister. Um, for Well, I'm getting there, I guess. But... Yeah, he travels around, living off the fat of the land, berries and goat's milk, finding people. He eventually ends up at a castle teaching Latin to this knight uh, because the knight's Latin is terrible and he was trying to write something. But he no Latin, doesn't know how to read the globe. You know, who's ever going to exactly, him, right? <laughs> Exactly. See, this is why what, everything you're saying tonight, I'm like, there's so many connections to this book. <laughs> uh, but has two beautiful daughters and... Yeah, basically every woman loves this man. Okay, and he so is a able... Don Juan kind of, yeah. Yeah, he's able to get any woman to fall for him, basically, up until he's like in his mid-20s. Or and 30s. does the author give any kind of detailed explanation of how one might go about doing that? <laughs> Have a boyish look <laughs> with golden hair. Ah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I might. So... Yeah, one. So the oldest daughter is eighteen. The younger one is sixteen. Um, both marrying age at this time because this actually takes place like medieval times. They this takes place around the same time as the um, the Black Plague. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. Even though this was written in the nineteen hundreds, uh, things go very well with him and the older one, and that's the only woman he truly loved throughout this book i think and he's narcissist a narcissist no he's just an addict i kind of assumed there was going to be like an etymology link there no i thought so too i thought okay narcissist is going to be the one who goes out into the world live the worldly ways Goldmund is going to be like godly or something gold god or something yeah like yeah that. nope no. <laughs> i okay. think the german even is narcissus und Goldmund. Yeah, that's so strange that he would then not be one. Okay, no, Narciss is kind of a kind of nobody in a weird way. Mm. He's an abbot who lives by the cloth, and his main thing is that. Um, okay, yeah, Goldmoon's the one with all the character, but yeah, goes around sleeping with women, or um, he gets kicked out of the castle because the knight finds out that. Uh, the daughter uh, goes into his bedroom every night. And um, I don't think they ever necessarily sleep together, but um, they get pretty close. And then the younger daughter comes in and it gets awkward with all three of them. Mm. And so, yeah, he gets kicked out. The most interesting part of the book to me is when he gets to, I believe, the next place where he starts living as a craftsman. So he makes 
some beautiful statues working with this master Nicholas, who also has a beautiful daughter. But in this case, um, Goldmund, he completes his main statue, the only statue that he feels like, this is my heart and soul. I don't want to just make random knickknacks for people to buy. So he's like, I don't know what to do with myself. I kind of just want to wander some more. But mm-hmm. Master Nicholas says, no, I want you to take over for me. And I want you to marry my daughter. It's like, okay, that actually sounds like a fantastic ending. Why don't you do that? He's like, well, I want to wander. That's just the only way for me to feel free and feel like I can live my life and be happy. So he leaves and uh, Nicholas throws him out, gets angry with him and like, do not come back here. He does eventually come back, but this is after Master Nicholas has died. And it's unfortunate that they could never meet mends that relationship mm-hmm. the daughter is still there but never married um she actually had the plague and almost died but um she survived the father died because he was toiling over her it's honestly a really sad story there um with all that mm. uh goldman ends up killing a couple people um as well one person tried stealing from him so he was asleep and then woke up while that was happening and the guy started choking him, so he stabbed the guy who was choking him. So self-defense. Um, so a lot is happening yeah. in this book. There's a lot of things. It is a journey, is mm. how I would describe this book. I'm trying to think of something that most people would know that's just like um, a person going from like nomadic from place to place to place with this little story happening, almost episodic throughout that's the best i can kind of explain it and you end up going back to some old places but he's never recognized um for the most part at one point uh he meets some i don't know if she's like a countess or something but a count finds that he's in her room he says oh no i'm just stealing from her but he was in bed with her for a bit um Mm -hmm. (laughs) so he's about to be put to death and ah, that is not ideal. No, no, it is not. But it is just for stealing and not for like uh besmirching her good name. <laughs> so that's that was good of him. Uh because he was kind of protecting her. And then who's to give him his last rights? Narcissus. <laughs> okay. And Narcissus had basically pleaded and gotten a pardon for Goldmoon. For Goldmoon to come back to the cloister. And that's where he makes uh, some more statues and feels generally happy. He's able to, uh, because all the abbots that he knew when he was a kid have passed away. So he makes them like saints and mm-hmm, puts mm-hmm. them into wood. Even the older, the only woman he loved, Lydia, um, he makes a statue out of her. And it's one of the most beautiful statues of all time. So, um yeah, it's really nice. But then I'm getting into like the last like 20, 30 pages now where he does Which all you've that. read during the show. <laughs> yes. Uh <laughs> during the breaks. Um but yeah, he uh ends up leaving again to travel some more. And he comes back an old man. Okay. And I mean, I'm not technically there yet, but I yeah it's it's his entire life you see him die and narcissus is there at his deathbed 
Um, It's honestly just a beautifully written book. I don't think it resonated with me in the ways that it would other people. Okay. But I see that I see what Kieran and and, uh, PJ meant by if you see yourselves in either of these characters or in both of these characters, preferably, Mm. you're going to absolutely love it. It's going to be one of your favorite books. Okay. I don't see myself in Goldman or Narcissus. Uh, maybe a little bit more narcissist, but he's not as much of a character to me. Yeah. Um. So that's why I think you would really love it. it sounds because good to it's me. Yeah. A journey. You get a little bit of that, uh, like Victorian thing. Like, oh no, he he uh, said that I forgot my childhood. I'm gonna faint. It sounds fantastic, and I was really surprised. For some reason, I just thought it. With the recommendation and looking at the cover and hearing the name of the book, I just decided it was some kind of weird philosophical yeah. thing. Or I don't know. I was not expecting like a yeah. nice Victorian style story at all. I don't necessarily think it's Victorian. I just think that that moment in itself, but you got your moment. vagabond mm. stuff in it. And he goes from, yeah, story to story, woman to woman, and doesn't really know where he belongs in the world. And I don't know if he ever really does find where he belongs. Hmm. So what's but, our final decision? Where are we sending so for, it? For me, it is incredibly poetic. Um, it was a fantastic way for me to just kind of meditate and enjoy this just being mm-hmm. with it. Um, just kind of seeing this person's life. So it for me, it is a yeah, yeah, yeah. I did in the end, I think really like it. Um it just took a lot for me to see what was really good about it. Okay, so it just about gets there. Well, that's good. And you know what? That means we've got a clean sweep. Because last month, I think we sent a yeah. lot down the gutter. Nothing. Uh, Nothing this time, yeah. Nothing. So yeah, um, next time I see you, I'll uh, be sure to lend it to you. I think mm. um, I, I really do want to hear your thoughts on it at some point. Okay, I will try to do that uh, maybe in the next episode. Can we just... I feel bad that we didn't play this at all, though. So... Don't... Yeah, 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 first. <laughs> I was going to play it once for sure, but everything everything goes, uh, everything goes, gets a yeah, yeah, yeah for today. Fantastic. Oh, did you play it? Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. You didn't share the sound that time. So like, oh, you didn't uh-huh, hear it. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I'll pretend. Yeah. I played the yeah, yeah, yeah also. I guess you didn't hear that. Um, so, no, that's fantastic. Everything everything gets, yeah. Uh, gets a yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. For me, We Have Always Lived in the Castle is just a much more fun and exciting book. If you want something that is going to like, I guess, like touch your soul in a way, Narcissism Goldman is probably better. Okay, Um, fair, fair. Well, I think that is it, unless uh, Alfred has anything to add? No, of course, just just collect the big bucks and contribute the most minimum amount you can there. Good, sir. Uh, we do have an ad from another great podcast, which I'm going to play real quick. From the centers of a TARDIS to the pains of a comic book and the source code of your favorite games. We are the Nerds Amalgamated. Join us as we traverse the world of nerd from the fields of science and technology to the darkest dungeons of Weeb's world to the infinite sea of gaming with your pilots, the professor and the DJ. I'm the professor, a complete geek who wants to make a bigger than Todd Howard. I'll be covering the latest gaming and technology news. 
I am the DJ, a big-time weeb who wants to write his own manga. I'll be breaking down all things from comics to movies to anime. Please fasten your seatbelts and secure all baggage under your seat or in the overhead compartments. Please don't turn off your personal electronic devices. And thank you for choosing Nerds Amalgamated. Enjoy your show. So that's an ad from another great show on the uh, That's Not Canon uh, TNC podcast network, one of our fellow shows. Guys, that's basically it. Don't forget, go to booksboys.com, email us booksboys at hotmail.com, or hit us up on the instant grams at Booksboys Podcast. And the most important one, patreon.com slash booksboys. Get things. We love when you get things. Be Buy our friends. We love you. Books. <laughs> Things. Things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we had a good sweep of books. That's great. We're going to get some yes. Playboys going and um, lots of good stuff happening. So that's great. And we'll finish this month. So basically, something strange happens. I decided that because I released the new album, we would close this month's episode with a song from the new album. Um, but because these are songs, you know, half of them are songs I've been working on over the last two years anyway. I've already played all the best songs on the show. And so I looked at the other sort of half and thought, well, which ones will I play? And there's still one or two I could play. But for some reason, the one that I find myself listening to the most was the bonus track, which wasn't actually meant to be that good. And it's a song I did with PJ. And there's two versions of this song. It's called I Got Nowhere to Go. There's two versions of the song. Basically, I did an acapella. I sent it to PJ and said, whack some guitar on that. The guitar he sent back didn't fit the song at all. (laughs) So there is a version existing where I sing quite well, but not in tune with the guitar at all. So I then redid the vocals to match the guitar that he sent. But I somehow didn't do anywhere near as good a job on the vocals. So the version that made it onto the album, I don't sing that well in, but at least it fits the music. So it's kind of a toss up between the two versions. Um... So that's what we're going to close. It is the bonus track on the album. It's it's not technically one of the the dozen, um, but it's got I got nowhere to go. It's me and PJ. Year unknown. I really have no recollection of when we did this. I'm gonna say it could have been like eight years ago. Who knows? Um, so that's what we're going to close with, and we will of course be back next month. I can guarantee one Dumas because I read the first few pages <laughs> today. Uh, it will be the last Dumas. So, just last Duma for for a good while at least. You know, we're not going to go back to Duma or Balzac. I think for a while, um, try and get some new stuff. And I have some new stuff, so I want to get to it. Um, any ideas what you're going to hit up next month? I do not just yet, so I'm going to have to figure that out okay. in the next day or two. Some surprises. Well, that's it, guys. We'll be back um next month. But in the meantime, no, that's the wrong one, Ryan. DJ will spin that record. And we'll be back in about a in month. In about a month. <laughs> I've got nowhere to go. Yes, I've got nowhere to go. I don't know what I'll do, but I know I can't do it without you. I've got nowhere to go. I've got nowhere to go. I've got nowhere to go. I knew you'd come back all along and baby I just sang my song I've got nowhere to go Baby I can't live my life without you I can't do all the things that I wanna do You were the one who made my life whole When you look
But baby, you ripped out my song. I've got nowhere to go. Yes, I've got nowhere to go. Baby, I need you to be mine, cause baby, you're something divine. I've got nowhere to go. Now I've got nowhere to go. Yes, I've got nowhere to go, baby. The more time we spend apart, the more poison seeps into my heart. I've got nowhere to go. Nothing in this world that I want to do Nothing in this world Nothing in this world that does not involve not you involve I'm losing my mind and wandering naked through the streets I'm the kind of guy, I'm the one you got to me I've got nowhere to go yes, I've got nowhere to go Baby, come back and stay and all our bad things will go away I've got nowhere to go Presented by The Dean and Playboy Alex in association with Thaddeus Penguin Productions. Ah. This episode was brought to you by our sponsor, Dickensian Thakarian Naming Conventions. If you would like to get in touch, you can email us at booksboys at hotmail.com or visit us at booksboys.com. The intro uses Driving in the 70s from the Of Soundtracks and Garage Bands EP by Trapdoor. And the outro uses Dog's Light by Bravo Max from the album of the same name. All music used is either podsafe or used with permission. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash booksboys, get the show early, and all of our bonus Boofan the Boys shows. And you can also check out our music on Spotify or Apple Music. Thank you kindly for listening to us. Please tell your friends and come back next time for another episode of Books Boys. Read some books! Sort of peek behind the curtain, but 
Yeah, it sounds like... Uh, I'm going to have to edit this out, but yes, uh, he was... I will be uh, saying that after 